Hello and welcome to the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Harditz, and happy week 16. Hope those squads are still alive in the fantasy playoffs, and we got more film to grind, analytics to look at, and shit to figure out to try to go capture that championship glory. As always, on this preview edition of the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast, I'm joined by none other than PFF's own Dwayne The Rock McFarlane. Dwayne, happy week 16. We made it. We made it in. We made it. No, man, I'm, dude, like, I'm actually pumped, like, for week 16. Like, it's funny. It's like, uh, I know we've been doing this for a while, but it's still, like, we get to wake up and think about football every day. Fantasy football, regular football, fake football, doesn't matter. Like, it's it's got the word football in it, so I'm excited. Amen to that. Let's get after it. As always, we're going to go through each and every game ahead of week 16. I'm taking away squads. Dwayne is taking home. You know, if we really tried to preview every single, you know, thought we have on these matchups, I think the pod would push four or five hours. Maybe we would just never turn it off, Dwayne. Just a constant 24-7 live stream of our lives talking fantasy football. Because of that, we are going to do our best to really only touch on the most fantasy relevant players and give our thoughts on that. So we're going to kick things off. Thursday night football, 49ers at the Titans. San Fran sitting as three and a half point favorite. Game total at 44. Big news that just broke before we started recording is that Elijah Mitchell has been ruled out with that knee injury. Cleared the concussion protocol last week. Knee is still not in a good enough spot with the short turnaround from Sunday. So with that in mind, Jeff Wilson, RB1 season. A couple weeks ago, this would not have been the case because what we had seen from Jeff Wilson without Mitchell was more of a split role. We were still seeing Hasty on pass downs, a lot of juice check, a lot of Debo Samuel. That's not what happened last week. Wilson finally got that. You know, 80% plus snap rate, 20 plus carries, and even a even a couple targets uh, for good measure. So, you know, really, Dwayne, with our ranks this week, I think this is a rare situation where you can basically cross out Elijah Mitchell and put in Jeff Wilson there. Maybe bump him down a few spots. Like I know Mitchell had true 30 touch upside when he was in there at his best, but particularly considering that we were likely to get a banged up version of Mitchell if he was able to suit up, I think Wilson should be started in fantasy football lineups of all shapes and sizes. Like you should legitimately have three top 12 RBs if you are not finding a way to sit Wilson on the bench. Other than that, we kind of get this offense and credit to Jimmy G for enabling now largely three fantasy relevant receivers during any given week. League high, 8.5 yards per attempt from Jimmy G this year. Is that 8.5 yards per attempt even as impressive as whatever, you know, Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady are at? Of course not, but all yards count the same in fantasy land, and Jimmy G is enabling the guys like Kittle, like Debo, and even like Brandon Ayuk with more success than not over these past, you know, four to six weeks when everyone has been healthy. So Ayuk did dud last week, but you know what? When we have these three guys in a run-first offense, that is going to happen from time to time. I do think he's worth going back to well with as an upside wide receiver three against the Titans second worst defense and PPR points for game to wide receivers with Debo man like he just keeps telling regression to go straight to hell because he is a god at running back 7.5 yards per carry when lined up in the backfield this year nobody else including the god himself Jonathan Taylor is even over six it was also good for his fantasy value last week to see him catch more than one ball for the first time since week 10 you know I think whether it's gonna be receiver rusher Kyle Shanahan finds a way to get Debo the ball I'm still not comfortable ranking him as like the top 10 wide receiver that he's been throughout the year because of this rushing role with that said he's still gonna be hard to keep out of the top 15 top 
top 16, particularly hard to keep out of those starting fantasy lineups, which is ultimately what we're trying to figure out here. Final point with George Kittle. Look, if you remove positional designations, take all the wide receivers and all the tight ends in the league and just look at their PPR points per game, Kittle, Mark Andrews, and Travis Kelsey are all in the top 12 period, which, you know, when we were drafting Waller really high, I think we were kind of hoping this would have been the outcome with him as well. But, you know, we'll let bygones be bygones there. Either way, if you somehow have Kittle and Andrews and Kittle and Kelsey, excuse me, if you have two of those three guys on your team, put them in the flex because they're basically a wide receiver one with the sort of numbers they are putting up. Now, Dwayne, we got the Titans, and it sounds like the return of our Lord and Savior. AJB, wide receiver one season. Is it back, Dwayne, or are you too nervous about potential snap reduction to trust them in the playoffs? I'm not nervous about it. Like, Tennessee has to use him, man. Yeah. I mean, um, and I mean, like, the only thing would be conditioning. But, I mean, I think the conditioning, at least as far as, like, from what I've read, like, they don't think it's going to be a challenge. He's playing. Like, so he'll be out there. Um I've got him right now at 14, so I don't have him in my wide receiver one rank, but I have him, you know, as an upside wide receiver two. Playing against the 49ers, it's a 6.7 out of 10 on our wide receiver strength of schedule metric. Um, You know, we don't even have it. We don't even – our folks running the wide receiver cornerback tool don't have him in yet. Like, they're assuming A.J. Brown's still out. But that'll be refreshed for you folks tomorrow if you want to go check it out. So, I can't tell you what that matchup looks like. (laughs) But you know what? I really don't care because you're going to get lots of play action targets. He's going to be a funnel in the offense. So, I mean, I think, you know, We'll have a shot at eight to 10 targets in this game. Um, so I love AJB this week. Um, as far as the rest of the Titans, no one else at receiver or tight end that I'm going to touch. Um, this does get us to a point, though, where we could start to think about Tannehill again, Ian. It's not, I'm not going to have a ton of confidence in Tannehill this weekend You know, against the 49ers. Um, it's not the greatest matchup, and the 49ers do have a good uh, – they have a tendency to really control the clock. Um, so does Tennessee. So it's kind of a battle of wills, right, between these two teams. So it's going to be interesting. Both of, both of them are run first operations. So when I look at Tannehill, at least he will have a good target though available. Like he's really, he's had no one. We got one. For the we last got one. Several weeks. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, he does have one um, and you know, AJ Brown happens to be a pretty good one. So I'll, he'll be, you know, low in QB two, mid range QB two, somewhere in there. He will not be anywhere near my top 12 still this week. I just think there's too many other options, you know, so you don't really have to try to force it with someone like Tannehill. If you're playing a super flex though, you, at least you don't have to just, you know, completely think that you're going to get a zero or a dud. I think you have a little bit of upside with it. As far as the backfield for the Titans, you know, we covered it, you know, on the recap show, but it's still a three-way committee. We have seen, though, two out of the last three weeks, um, Deonta Foreman has handled about 50%, you know, of the rushing attempts. Um, so that is, you know, uh, not not the week before, but this, this past game he did, the week before he didn't, the week before he did. Um, but it's been three backs involved. So it's still kind of tricky. I don't completely trust it. I do think they want him to be the early down option to get about 50% of those attempts and then split up the rest between Hilliard, who's really the change of pace, and then McNichols is the um, passing down um, specialist. Um, as far as Foreman, though, this week, I don't have him inside my top 24, In I've got him sitting at 33 right now, which is uh, the top of my tier five. It's a 3.2 out of 10 on the running back strength of schedule, so that's pretty poor. Um, and if you look at the 49ers over the last several games, over the last six weeks, um, they actually give up the least amount of regulation, so not overtime, rushing attempts per game, 17.8. So here are the rushing attempts the 49ers have given up over that stretch, 9, 14, 8, 25, 22, and 19. So half of 
some of those numbers, like half of 14, if Foreman still gets to his half, like that's not good. Half of nine, <laughs> not good. Half of 18, not good. Half of 25, that's like the only data point in the sample size. We could be like, okay, I'll take 12 touches. I'll take 12 carries if I could get, you know, two receptions to go with it, right? That would put him, you know, in a, at a shot to finish as an RB2. Um, so it's a little bit dicey this weekend for Foreman as well. So I think of him more as that RB3, mid-range RB3 is where I've got him. Only other things I'd note real quick on AJ Bound, because as someone that just couldn't stop talking about this dude last year when he didn't have good games, many of you were quick to call me out on that, which is fair. I get it. I go on Twitter and I put a big ass helicopter out there. It's like I deserve to be yelled at when things aren't right. I'm not exactly being subtle about a lot of this stuff. Would just point out with AJB, he's coming back from a chest injury. Like when he initially got yeah, hurt, I almost it's thought. It's not a leg thing. Right. Not yeah. a leg thing. So that's why like we're more confident in conditioning, not being a factor in addition with the coaches have told us and people he was still awfully efficient when he was out there just in terms of yards per out run this year top seven receivers cooper cup debo samuel deontay harris who keeps popping up in these lists but you know what credit to you deontay you had a good uh, year before you got suspended Devonte adams justin jefferson tyler lockett and then aj brown no Julio take away targets they need some explosiveness in the past game i love starting ajb in leagues of all shapes and sizes this week Moving on to some Saturday Christmas edition football. Browns at the Packers. Green Bay sitting as seven-point favorites. Game total at 44 and a half. Can't trust these wide receivers. I don't care if Jarvis Landry's back, if Donovan Peoples-Jones is again featured. Ultimately, on the year, bottom three in targets, receptions, receiving yards, and touchdowns, two wide receivers. They're like 16th in, you know, percentage of catchable passes that were actually caught. It's not like they're dropping things and making life tough. It's just a situation where they keep the running backs involved, the tight end rooms crowded. Baker Mayfield, you know, we've slandered him enough throughout this year. Case Keenum and, uh, you know, whoever else is going to be under center, not exactly looking too much better. So just stay away from this pass game if at all possible you know maybe some stuff happens with COVID where we end up getting the Joker or Harrison Bryant featured honestly have we seen Hooper just got activated today right Dwayne Yes, Hooper is okay. off the COVID-19. Because I was going to say, Njoku hit that 100% snap rate last week. So if Hooper wasn't coming back, maybe we could get behind Njoku as a little bit more of like a recommended upside tight end too. I don't think that's the case when all three of these guys are back there. So truly, just try to avoid this passing game at all costs. Only the Texans with eight have more games with 14 or fewer points than the Browns this year at seven. That's how bad the Browns offense is. I mean, I know we don't necessarily think of them as being that bad because of Chubb, because of Hunt. But truly, just in terms of points, which win football games, they are right there with the Giants, the Texans, the Jaguars as some of the league's single worst offenses. The only guy we can confidently fire up is Nick Chubb. But Dwayne, I just wish it was more, man. Like, why haven't the Browns taken a page out of Frank Reich's book and just given the ball to Chubb like they do with with Jonathan Taylor and Indy. I mean, we were complaining about this heavy on this podcast for maybe two weeks. And then Reich was like, you know what? You guys are right. He listens to the pod, you know, each and every episode, most likely, and decided, you know what? We got to feed Jonathan Taylor all these touches because we don't have anyone else on the offense that deserves it. When it's Chubb and Kareem Hunt, I understand featuring Hunt as the better receiver. He is the better receiver, and we've seen that. But it's not like Chubb is incompetent. Good for Dearness Johnson for stepping up for a couple of weeks. Why is Dearness Johnson preventing Nick Chubb from catching passes, man? One freaking target last week in a game without Kareem Hunt. Chubb doesn't have a regular season drop since 2019. And I'm being a little, you know... Fetishes here with my word choice. He did drop two passes in the playoff game against the Steelers last year. But come on, man. Get this dude in the open field. Let's get him 25-plus touches per game when literally your season is on the line. Half of your team is, you know, out with COVID, and your offense is truly amongst the league's worst. Why not feature your best players? So with Chubb, 
He should be easy to rank as a top three RB without Hunt, but unfortunately, we got to, I think, slide him a little bit back. You're starting him either way. He's going to be at RB1 if he's ranked outside your top six or seven guys. I'd probably dispute that. But man, in these three games without Hunt, 56% snaps, 56% snaps, 67% snaps most recently. He's managed to hit 17, 16, and 24 touches. That's not enough when you're missing all these top guys. So it is what it is to an extent. You know, you're starting Chubb either way. I just really wish that we could have a higher ceiling for truly one of the league's most talented players with the ball in their hands. Now in Green Bay, we do have two good running backs, and they continue to see their work fairly evenly divided. We talked about this, though, after Week 15, Dwayne. It seems like Aaron Jones, though, should be considered the favorite down the stretch to do what he usually does, and that is lead this backfield in total production. Yeah, it's one data point, so we don't know for sure. Like, it could go back to what we had seen in the previous two games. But, like, my gut says that they were just easing Jones back in with the injury, Ian. You know, because remember, I mean, Jones came back probably a week before he should have. Because he came back ahead of the bye week. You know, so they could have chosen to rest him, let him have the bye, and then come back. But instead, they went ahead and played him. Um, And it's just the nature of the Packers' offense. They don't have a lot of weapons outside of Devontae Adams. So it's kind of like every man, you know, needs to be, you know, available each week. You know, Aaron Rodgers, he can work magic, but you got to give him something, you know, to work with. So, yeah, I agree with you. I do think, you know, the way I'm looking at this backfield this weekend, I'm giving Jones the nod as the slight, you know, favorite. You know, I don't know that it'll be as much as last week. 63% of the snaps to Jones, 30 to Dylan. I think that's about right. Rushing attempts, 57% to Jones, 30% to Dylan. I think that could be more like that. That's the one that could get to 50-50 if the game works out the right way. Um, So we'll just have to wait and see. But when you're looking at the Packers this week, you got Marquez Valdez-Scantling, who's on the COVID-19 list right now. You got Alan Lazard, who injured his ankle twice in that game. I haven't even had a chance to see what his practice report said today. I looked him up earlier and didn't see any news on him. So we'll have to keep an eye on those guys, but it could be a situation where they really need Aaron Jones in the past game you know what I mean and so when you look at the way that you know um, the Browns play defense they run the fourth most zone in the league 73 percent of the time they run zone coverage and if you look at the Packers the second most targeted player on their team against zone coverage is Aaron Jones so obviously number one is Devontae Adams because he's number one at every freaking thing (laughs) in the world but Aaron Jones is second so and remember we've talked about this before if you listen to this pod like you're smart you know that whenever you face a team that plays more zone your running backs are going to get more targets and that's certainly going to hold true for Aaron Jones this week I think that gets him a slight bump in the passing game Ian so I've got him just outside of my top 12 this week I've got Jones at running back 13 um, Cleveland's decent on the ground it's a 5.7 out of our uh, running back strength of schedule metric one uh, zero through 10 so I mean it's above average but right around average um, but really what we need from Cleveland is we just we need all their offensive linemen I mean for uh, the Packers we need their offensive line for Cleveland too <laughs> but for the Packers we need the offensive line to get healthy we need back Tiari. we need some of these other guys back right that just haven't been able to go um, for, you know, well, Bakhtiari hasn't been able to play all season. So it's a situation where we just needed them to get up, get a little healthier there. But I still think Jones has a chance to be inside the top 12. He could still sneak in there, you know, by the time we get to the end of this week. For now, I've got A.J. Dillon outside of my top 24. In fact, I've got him at RB34 right now. So tier five, that same tier that I just mentioned with Deonta Foreman. So it's also got, um, you know, names like Daryl Henderson, uh, Jamal Williams, Daryl Williams, Tony Pollard, Mark Ingram. So these are these are like the second half of split backfields or the lead 
player in three-way backfields, right? That's kind of what this tier is. And so that's where I've got Dylan right now. But I've got him below names like Damian Harris, Michael Carter, even Justin Jackson this week, potentially with Eckler out. Like I've got him below those guys. Um, Still, I think you can use him, you know, as a flex, but we don't have any buys this week. So I don't know how much folks will need to use him. Of course, as soon as we say this, like he's going to score like three touchdowns and he'll get 60% of the carries because that's the way fantasy football goes, Ian. Um, As far as Devontae Adams, um, obviously everybody knows you just start Devontae Adams. Like you don't, you don't need to worry about it, but you know, Cleveland is pretty good like against, you know, the pass, but the matchup itself, like against, you know, if you look at the, at how often we think, you know, Adams is going to line up at each against each one of the corners for, um, you know, the uh, Browns, it's an 86.1 in our wide receiver cornerback matchup, which will be top 10 on the week, but the wide receiver strength of schedule is only a 2.4 out of 10. Again, you don't really care because Devontae Adams gets targeted, all the time. Doesn't matter if it's a zone coverage team. Doesn't matter if it's a man coverage team. One of the few wide receivers, you know, in the league that actually gets, you know, close to a 30% target uh, per route run against man and zone coverage. So you're going to fire up Adams. As far as Aaron Rodgers goes, I've got him at QB seven this week. Um, you know, Cleveland is a tough matchup actually for quarterbacks, 1.8 out of 10 on the quarterback strength of schedule metric. However, it is Aaron Rodgers and it is a game that they're going to want to win just to keep things, you know, keep things going. They're in a good position now. Like the, the Packers have a really good shot to try to clinch, you know, home field advantage if they can just keep pushing with the way that the Cardinals are starting to fade. So things are working out really well for them. So I expect, you know, and it's at home, it's Green Bay, you know, at home against Cleveland. So I've got Aaron Rodgers at seven. So I've got him, you know, ahead of like staff. Stafford, and I've got Mahomes a little lower this week just because we don't know what's going to happen with, you know, the wide receivers and uh, Travis Kelsey. Yeah, Rodgers, 13 touchdowns, zero interceptions in his last four games. Next touchdown will surpass Brett Favre's all-time franchise record. Nice that he gets to do so at Lambeau. Colts at the Cardinals, Saturday night football. Cardinals favored by five, game total at 49 and a half. So yeah, last week, Carson Wentz, that was our single worst PFF passing grade of the season for a given week. That's not how bad he's been all season, though. Like, that was the closest we've ever seen Wentz look to 2020 Wentz in the year 2021. Generally, though, he's been fine. Not MVP Wentz, but he's had a PFF passing grade of 65 or better in 10 of 14 games. That's average to above average. Great. He just needs to exist in, you know, those one, 1.5 seconds between getting the snap and putting it in Jonathan Taylor's gut. Carson Wentz is a handoff quarterback, and that's all the Colts need them to be right now. It'd sure be a lot cooler if he could enable Michael Pittman, you know, not overthrow him on a potential 70-yard touchdown on the, on the first drive of the game, like they did against the Patriots. Maybe also Pittman could not get ejected for some Bush League shit. What, what was that, Dwayne? What did Pittman do to get ejected on that play? I don't know. I thought that was absurd, but you know what? I... Probably been a little bit, a little bit too far in on Pittman recent weeks. Hasn't worked out. The volume's even been there a couple times. But you know what? The only sure thing in this offense really is Jonathan Taylor. The Cardinals have allowed a league high 19 touchdowns to wide receivers, but just because of those volume concerns, Pittman needs to be, you know, really in that mid-tier wide receiver three territory. If you want to rank him inside the top 30, okay, by a few spots potentially. If you want to rank him outside it, I'm not really going to disagree with you either. Again, matchup isn't scary. It's just that volume because Jonathan. And Taylor, 98% snaps last week. He literally could not ask for more. He has 12 weeks as an RB1 uh, in, in, in this season. That is the most in the league. 
And at this point, Dwayne, he's starting to see his name at the top of the leaderboard ever, forever. In NFL history, only five running backs in NFL history have averaged 20 or more PPR points per game. Christian McCaffrey, Alvin Kamara, Jim Brown, LaDainian Tomlinson, and Jonathan Taylor. So you're starting Taylor. And other than that, man, you should be feeling pretty good if you don't have any other Colts in your lineup with all due respect to Michael Pittman. Also, you know, I don't like doing victory laps a lot in here, but one of my favorite calls I had in this entire offseason was I named Zach Paschal as my Kevin Ogletree, like you're going to do a lot in week one and then do nothing the rest of the year. Kind of nailed that one, Dwayne. So zero monetary reward for it. I don't think anyone remembered it. I don't think anyone cares that I'm bringing it up now, but just saying, Zach Paschal, Kevin Ogletree, good call by me, but more important things to talk about. Let's go on to the Cardinals. You don't, you don't ever give yourself pats on the back. And when just you do, the stupid it's, shit. It's, it's about Paschal. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta love it. All right, Stay Dwayne, classy. Stay you, classy, San Diego. You just broke down uh, the Packers backfield. We have another one here that, uh, yeah. hey, back to two. Two good ones. We know that, you know, in the right matchup, in the right game script, both Chase Edmonds and James Conner can, you know, produce for you. How do you see this going here, though, and how do you rank them against, you know, as we saw against uh, Ramondre Stevenson last week, an awfully good Colts run defense? Well, I mean, just looking at – the roles are a little different than they were earlier in the year. Like, and so the other thing we have to factor in, Ian, is like, you know, it was a short week on the turnaround. James Conner was playing injured with the Hill injury. Like he didn't practice today, you know, uh, well, at least that's the early report, right? We haven't got the official DNP, but it, he wasn't on the field for the part where reporters could see. So it's obviously an injury that's still bothering him. So we don't know how much of this is due to him coming back from injury and how much of this is just, this is the new way they want to split the backfield. But to me, like the encouraging thing is despite James Conner battling through an injury and Chase Edmonds having time to work his way back, you know, he had been, you know, activated, you know, not activated, but he had been designated to return like two weeks before. So Edmonds had had plenty of time to get conditioning right. So I don't think that would have been a challenge. So I think there was a chance that it could have even been more James Conner, right? If we hadn't have seen him get hurt at the end of that other game. So I'm a little leery, like just to say, this is exactly how we think the backfield's going to work. But at the end of the day, you know, it is, it's a loss for Conner because now you've got really Edmonds playing the passing down role. Before, remember, Edmonds would see about 60, 65% of the snap all the passing down work, but then Connor would come in and just really get like, you know, the rushing attempts, you know, he'd get 40, 45% of the rushing attempts each game. Well, this last game, it really wasn't like that. You saw Connor actually lead the way, you know, from a snap standpoint, you saw, you saw Connor rotate off on those obvious passing downs, but he was still involved you know, from a route standpoint, didn't have as many targets as what we've really gotten used to seeing, um, you know, from Connor over the previous weeks, we had seen 71% and 59% routes last week, it dropped to 33%, but it's still a little bit higher than where he was before. So if you look at the first uh, weeks, one through eight, it was 42% of the snaps to Connor, 60% to Edmonds, rush attempts, 40 to 33 routes, 25 to 61 short down and distance, 65 to 42 long down and distance and two minute offense was almost all chase Edmonds. And so now after this injury coming back, you know, it's a little bit different. It's really, you know, like I said, Edmonds having more of that passing down role, but Connor now leading the way in snaps. And I think there is a chance, like I said, that he could really, you know, hold on to more of it. Now, the issue is here are your games where you've had James Connor with Chase Edmonds. These are his fantasy finishes in a PPR 48, 61, 14, 8. Those were nice. What did he do? He scored touchdowns 33, 35, 22, 20. But then here are his games without Chase Edmonds. And I'm going to go ahead and count week nine where Chase Edmonds only played one or two snaps. 
1, 16, 7, 12, 2. Then you get week 15, you get Chase Evans back, and it's a 30. So, look, you've got a quarterback that's willing to run the ball as well. Um, so even though that like Connor looks like he has a slightly better role than what we saw before, Ian, it's just hard to grade him, especially coming into this week with an injury, as more than a mid-range to low-end RB2. We all know the upside is there if he's healthy. And if for some reason we're like, oh, look, they really were just going to give him 70% of the work again. Like, that's in the range. But I think right now you just got to treat it like that's probably not going to happen, you know, um, especially with the injury. So for me right now, I've got James Conner at a 19 on the week. It's also not the greatest matchup against Indy. It's a 3.6 out of 10 on the running back strength of schedule. It's a minus eight offensive line run blocking advantage. Um, Chase Edmonds, I've got at 36. So low end RB2 this week. I don't think he's really very usable. Um, mostly just a passing down option. We'll get another data point this week, but obviously like we're closing in yeah. towards the end. So if you had to trust one of these guys, I think Connor is the only one that you can really put into your fantasy lineup and feel good about it right now. Um, as far as the wide receivers go, we know DeAndre Hopkins is out for the season. Um, last week, Christian Kirk really stepped up, man. Had his second highest um, routes per drop back of the season. One, he had, he had beat it by 1% earlier in the season. Um, but still, the two highest games that he's seen. And he's the deep threat, man. He's the guy that gets the big juice plays. Um, he is the guy that really Kyler Murray looks to whenever you got to have a big play. And so I just like Christian Kirk moving forward. I think he is a high-end wide receiver three, you know, the rest of the way. Um, he's also one of these receivers that wouldn't surprise you if he catches two touchdowns in a, in a week, right? Again, not a, not a great matchup. The Colts are good against um, opposing offenses passing game. It's a 0.2 on the wide receiver strength of schedule. So not a two, a 0.2. Second worst on the week, um, Minnesota gets the worst against uh, the Rams, but the Colts' uh, secondary is really good. 32.1 on wide, on the wide receiver cornerback matchup. So both things look bad from that perspective, but look, he's the lead target in the Cardinals offense. This is a game where the Cardinals are going to need to score points. Uh, it's a 25.25 implied points, 49.5 game total. So I feel good about Christian Kirk despite the matchup. If somebody's going to come through big for them in the passing game, I think it's him. If it's Enjoy not him, him yeah. Yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, because I've, I've got my wide receiver article done this week before the pod. Usually oh, don't. Yeah, so yeah, jump in, some, man. Jump in. Got some extra fire here because you're right. Tough matchup on the surface. But if you look, because, you know, you had, you've had Xavier Rhodes out there all year. I'm old enough to remember when A.J. Brown hung 150-plus in a touchdown on these guys. Marquise Brown, two scores, 125. They are good overall. But, man, if you can get that ball downfield against them, that is where they struggle. On passes, throwing at least 20 yards downfield, 26 in yards per attempt, 22nd QB rating, dead last in explosive pass play rate allowed. As you alluded to, Christian Kirk, team high 17 deep ball targets on the season. Where does so, Kyler rank in 20-plus in yard throws? Do you have that by chance? By far. He's been the best deep ball quarterback all okay. year long. There you go. I love there it. There you go, man. I love it. No, that's great. So adding that on, you know, um, I've got A.J. Green at 39 this week. He could finish like a low-end wide receiver three. He's going to see more work as well. But look, he his his work hasn't spiked nearly as much as Kirk's in the games where we haven't had Hopkins. Um, so if you look at the games without Hopkins, Christian, Christian Kirk's finishes 17, 30, 69, and 5. Whereas A.J. Green, 30, uh, 97, 31, he had one game where he didn't play, and then 32. So not bad, but clearly the upside sits with Kirk. Right. right. More than it does AJ Green. And look, Kirk can just do everything, folks. Like he can catch a short ball. He can run afterwards for a long run and catch touchdown. He can beat the defense deep. You know, so those are two things AJ Green can't really do at this stage. He's really more of an intermediate possession type receiver. So he can come through with a 
a 12-target, eight-catch game for 80 yards and two touchdowns. Like, that could happen for A.J. Green. But there's just more, like, you know, from a poker term kind of standpoint, there's more outs for Christian Kirk, right? He, one big play is much more possible with him than it is with A.J. Green unless A.J. gets, like, a blown coverage. The other player that's seeing more work is, is Zach Ertz. So, like, this, this Hopkins thing stinks overall for the Cardinals. But for all these fantasy assets that folks have been using, you know, getting to the playoffs, like, you know, you're getting a boost. So Zach Ertz this week, I've got a tight end um, six in um, 49. I mean, sorry, 3.8 on the tight end strength of schedule. And it's a only a two in the matchup, but 13.7 points given up per game by uh, the Colts to opposing defenses. And I don't worry about matchup, honestly, quite as much with tight ends as I do um, receivers. If you can work on the inside and you can do different things, move these guys around. And a lot of times you're playing against zone coverage, right? Especially with the Colts. You're not playing necessarily against man coverage. And Ertz, is a, he's a savvy veteran. Like he knows how to find the holes in, in the zone coverages, those sorts of things. So Ertz, I've got at number six. He's a similar situation if you look at him in the games. Um, I, won't, I won't go through it all because I know we need to move on to the next team. But, well, I got it right here. So here, here's his games where he didn't have um, DeAndre Hopkins, 29, 13, 1, and 8. Those are Zach Ertz finishes. So, you know, you got some real upside with Ertz as well. Obviously, if I like these weapons, Kyler Murray, even though it is a tough matchup, like what are you going to do? You're not going to move Kyler Murray out of your top five. I've got him at QB3 this week. i um, been very active on the ground these last several games. So I think like Kyler, man, like he – I know some people are going to like, they're going to look at these last two games. Cause, and it's look, we all do it. You get recency bias. It's like, Oh man, what I do, but like Kyler Murray, man, like it's so close. And like, he's seeing more of the design rushing attempts than we've really seen all year. You know, he's always a threat to scramble, not getting sacked a lot. Like, so I just, I think he's in a, he's in one of those spots where we could look up. And even though it's a tough matchup, like, would you be surprised if we're like, Oh, Kyler just put up 45. <laughs> like that's what, that's what he's capable of. Anytime it goes out. So he's in my top three. Only tight ends ahead of Ertz. Is it Kittle, Gronk, Andrews, Kelsey, and Goddard? Look at you. Hey. Uh, yeah, I got I got yeah. Andrews, Kittle, Gronk, uh, Goddard. And I've got Waller up there right now. Okay. Just well, because if he's, he's in there, yeah. If he plays. But, yeah, if he's out, then that puts then, – then Ertz moves up one. I put Ertz above Pitts. Like, Pitts – I love Pitts' yeah. matchup this week. But, man, I just – I trust the passing game. I just trust the Cardinals more. Um, and, and look, with Pitts, it's just, look, it is what it is at this point. Like, we like him. And look, he's doing good things for a rookie. But it, it's 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 just shaky. You could, like, talk about the games and maybe theorize that Ertz would find the end zone without your friends laughing at you. Kyle Pitts, like, that'd be a lot harder to actually pull on. <laughs> speaking, speaking of, Lions at the Falcons. Atlanta, six-point faves. Game total at 42 and a half. So, Dwayne and I. As, as we always do, every Monday afternoon, you can listen to it on Tuesday morning, break down the weekly running backs and every other position on the waiver wire. And our big takeaway with Craig Reynolds was the idea that Jamal Williams could be activated off the COVID list. That came to fruition. He was activated and he's at practice today. Also at practice today is DeAndre Swift, who I'm confused why he hasn't been shut down for the whole season yet, but maybe he still wants to play. Maybe he will be out there with the shoulder injury. We can now be looking at a situation where they know Swift Swift is still banged up to an extent, so he doesn't get his usual workload. Jamal Williams is back. Craig Reynolds has been playing well enough to still get a couple carries. And who the hell knows if we could have Goblin or Jamar or whoever else they're going to put in this backfield on a, on a per-game basis to actually take away anything. So if all these guys are active, like none of them are going to be ranked in my top 24. Even Swift. I cannot get behind this dude when we have no idea if there's going to be limited snaps and when he's playing through a shoulder injury. Like to me, shoulders and ribs, the pain 
true pain tolerance injuries. Those are the last things you want to see for running backs that are, you know, supposed to be running between the tackles 20 times a game. I know Swift's role, a little bit different. Pass catcher will take those receptions. But man, unless we get some real assertive comments from the coaching staff that Swift is back, business as usual, no limitations, I'm going to have a hard time trusting him with all the fantasy playoffs on the line. And that's Swift. Lord knows we are not starting Reynolds or Jamal Williams if we can at all help it in this situation. What's our best case? 10, 12 touches? If you think the Lions are going to, you know, build another 20-point lead and just, you know, be able to coast in the second half again, okay, then go pound that money line because they're six-point dogs. I just think this is a trap play going after Reynolds or Jamal Williams. But certainly a situation to monitor, and we'll continue to update those injuries as we always do on the Friday evening edition of the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. A little Christmas Eve, Christmas season. That's going to be fun. Maybe we'll put some sweaters on. Worry about that later in the week. The one guy to worry about these days with TJ Hawkinson, obviously done for the year, is Amon Ra St. Brown. Small shout out to Josh Reynolds as well for actually putting up some solid production over the last four weeks. But come on, unless you're just completely desperate, guy gets COVID, you know, five minutes for a kickoff and you need to scan your waiver wire. I don't think any of us are trying to put Reynolds in a flex. Amonra St. Brown, though, really is worthy of top 30 treatment here moving forward. Last three weeks, wide receiver six, wide receiver 26, and wide receiver six. Getting Swift back wouldn't be ideal because right now, Amonra is just eating all those underneath targets that normally Hawkinson Swift would also be taking plenty of. So if we get Swift back, I think that actually does ding St. Brown a little bit. But even then, man, you know, this, I think Goff, if he's out there, because we also got another injury to worry about with Goff on the COVID list. If Goff is out there, he has proven, again, for the last three weeks and throughout the year more times than not, that he can enable uh, St. Brown. And when you look at the Falcons, man, they have our number one cornerback in PFF coverage grade. A.J. Terrell, uh, Terrell has been one of the best corners in the entire league this year, but he doesn't move. They keep him on his spot, and he does a great job on that spot. But, man, it's like you're they're allowing the fourth most fantasy points per game to wide receivers. Maybe they should try putting their best on the other team's best at some point because, as I mentioned, Terrell, number one out of 127 qualified corners. Fabian Moreau is 99th, and Richie Grant in the slot is 122nd. So, Amonra is going to have a cake matchup on the inside. Just keep an eye on if he's going to have his quarterback and if this offense's primary checkdown option will be back there. But, again, if we don't see Swift and if Goff is good to go, like, Dwayne, where do you have St. Brown ranked? Because I think he is, you know, more and more creeping into that, even wide receiver two conversation conversation but with no buys I still think that'll probably just prioritize guys and offenses we can feel a little better about yeah but I mean it's just the targets have been so huge like he's yeah. been over 30 percent three consecutive weeks this last week was over 40 percent uh, I, I think the key is having golf if you do have golf back though I think wide receiver somewhere between 25 and 28 I have okay. him you know in tier four right now which is just right below like my cutoff for wide receiver 24 um but just kind of waiting to hear is he going to have golf but if he does even with swift back i still think like it's probably those two guys you yeah. know what i mean so i think i would still feel comfortable with him even though to your point he probably lose a little bit now really similar thing on the other side of the ball yeah. is russell yeah. gage another slot receiver that's eating recently with that said we know there's cpat we know there's kyle pitts and we know matt ryan hasn't been his most consistent self this year but hey man what are you thinking about gage here and pretty much anyone's idea of a smash spot yeah man gage like has really proven something i think in this year Ballin. i mean it's not just volume yeah, like he like he is he's beating man coverage, like he's getting open. Um, he stopped hurtling. Now he's using the spin <laughs> move, which looks a lot better. Like he's he's you know, he's freaking mossing people. 
like, dude, like, I'm very impressed with Russell Russell Gage. Like, you know, I know we look at numbers and stuff a lot, but we do, spend, whether people know it or not, like, we do spend a lot of time also watching the games and clicking into this data and, like, going to say, oh, what does this look like? Like, Gage, man, is just, like, uh, like I've been very, very, very impressed with Russell Gage, just to say the least. So, I've got him at wide receiver 27 this week, but you could, you know, he's at the very top of my tier four. But if you look at him, you know, just over the last several games, um, you've got Gage at wide receiver Seven, forty-seven, seven, fourteen, and thirty-six. So that was starting at week fifteen, working my way back to week eleven. So you've got four out of the last five games. He's a top thirty-six receiver, and you know three out of those games he's top fifteen, two top ten. So it's like like he's he's really in a good spot right now. So I like Gage. The matchup's above average. It's a six out of ten on our on our wide receiver strength schedule. Sixty-five point five wide receiver cornerback matchup. But guess what, man? Like. Like we should probably weight Gage's recent performances a little bit more. Like that's something we can think about in the off season because I would I would grade that as a better matchup than that. I you know obviously you've got old data in there that's also weighing on Russell Gage. But if you look at the last several games, like the dude is playing at an elite level. So um, I think he's all wheels up this week as a mid a mid tier wide receiver to, uh, three. You know that has that wide receiver one upside. <laughs> I mean two two out of the last five weeks he's he's been in the wide receiver one range. So I think. Can go with that as far as a uh, tight end goes kyle pitts you know has got a 9.3 out of 10 in on the tight end strength of schedule a 65 overall on the tight end matchup that's number one on the tight ends this week um it's number two for the tight end strength of schedule the only one better is jared cook which who cares right against the texans <laughs> um so pitts is in a good spot you know i've got him at number seven this week i do have him one behind Ertz, but i've got him in a tier of uh players that i have at tier two I've got six guys in that tier. Pitts is in it. Um, look, he's still he's still out there plenty. Um, the volume is good. We Pitts just needs to turn the volume into something, right? Russell Gage is taking the volume and turning it into big points. So far, Pitts just hasn't been able to have that breakthrough game despite being very involved in the game plan. Corderell Patterson, man, I think this is his weekend. I think this is going to be a good week Let's for go. Patterson. Every Hope week is Corderell Patterson week join. Yeah, yeah, I know you're always good with it. Like, I know, I know, I know, no ranking is too high. Like for you know, it's like, what do you mean too high? Uh, Corderell Patterson, I've got him at 11 this week. You know, just looking at his data, you know, over the last several weeks, like, you know, because I, I know we talked about him, you know, on the recap and and you were talking about how you kind of felt like really you got to rank him more as a low end running back, too. And that kind of stuck with me. I'm like, OK, well, really, where are we with Patterson? So I just went back and looked, man, and like really, he's not losing the routes outside. He's not losing the routes in the slot. Like he's still doing all those things. I think what's going on, like, is he's just getting more attention, right? But now you have Russell Gage going off. So what happens? These things have a way of leveling out, right? Because if you continue to give all this attention to Patterson and Gage continues to burn you, well, guess what the coaches see on the last four weeks of film? All they see is Russell Gage. They just see, like, who is this guy? Why is nobody covering him? Why, why is nobody doubling <laughs> Russell Gage? And I think that's going to open up things here eventually for Patterson, you know, because people have to choose basically, you know, as bad as the Falcons have been, like, they've, They've got two really good weapons in Patterson and Gage. And let's face it, like Pitts is still a good weapon as well. They have three ways that they can get to you. Um, I think that next year, like if you can keep Gage around, you get um, Ridley back, man, like this offense could take a big step forward. Um, they have other holes, but sorry, getting ahead of myself. But Patterson, I've got at number 11, it's a 9.2 out of 10 on the running back strength of schedule. Um, offensive line run blocking advantage is a 56. So that's going to be in the top five or six this week. 
And then as far as, you know, from um, a passing standpoint, it's also above average since we know that Patterson does work outside. But man, just these last few weeks, Ian snaps 48%, 50%, 61%, rushing attempts 55%, 43%, 58%. So he is essentially, he's the lead back now who also still gets those looks outside that we were getting early in the season. And so earlier, really it was, he was kind of the change of pace back getting the looks outside. Now he's the leading running back, still getting those same looks. So I think there's still a path to Patterson being in our top 12 every week. And, you know, we'll see. It's, you know, I know, I know we don't have a lot of time left, but it's the Lions. So I'm going to put him in there this week. I've got him in the top 12. It is the Lions. I just wish, you know, let's get him back out there doing what he truly does do best, and that is returning kicks. Fun, kind of meaningless, but still fun nonetheless. Stat I found on Twitter from the always entertaining Twitter account, Adam Harstead, at Adam Harstead on Twitter. But basically, since Cordero Patterson got drafted, seven of eight years, he averaged more than 28.3 yards per kick return. This year, he's at 23.7, hasn't played in special teams in a month. So Adam rightly pointed out, the Falcons might just blow Cordero Patterson's 28.3 lead. Hate to see it. Hopefully, he at least runs through those lines. Rams at the Vikings. Rams sitting as three-point favorites. Game total at 49. Let Stafford cook against this group. Cameron Dantzler, PFS 61st, highest-grade cornerback in coverage grade. Patrick Peterson, 89th. Bashad Breeland, he got cut, but he was 120th before he got cut. And there's Mackenzie Alexander, 126 out of 129 qualified corners. This secondary is atrocious. Look no further than when OBJ went for two catches and 27 yards against them. And, oh, yeah, three not one, not two, three missed touchdown tosses from Baker Mayfield back in week four when they faced off originally. So, look, we all know Cooper Cup is just a god. I mean, the extent that he is, though, even surprises me, Dwayne, because in the last 50 years, nobody has bested Cup's current average of 26.4 PPR points per game at wide receiver. And, you know, it's just one of these things. Um, I saw some you know, discourse on Twitter where... It was, we, we always go through the strategies, which one was the best and, you know, who can say they were right and who can say they were wrong. Like, I do think there were certain strategies that could lead you to taking a wide receiver in Cup's range, but, you know, show me the person that had Cooper Cup ranked as the overall wide receiver one. I will give them a pat in the back. Otherwise, man, I don't know how you could go back there and just, you know, determine he was going to be this much better than each and every person. I, we, of course, we saw the Stafford uh, bump happening. Of course, we knew Cup was already a good enough receiver in his own right. But again, most productive receiver of the last 50 years. Just be happy if you got Cup on your team and look forward to him maybe freaking being the wide receiver one overall into 2022. Hard not to with some of those numbers. So love Cup, love OBJ and Van Jefferson's potential of just hopping back on. Like that's what, you know, I know they dudded uh, last night, but I don't think that was necessarily like them not playing well. OBJ drew a deep pass interference penalty. He had another nice chunk catch that got, uh, you know, taken back because of, uh, Pretty questionable penalty, if I remember right. We've seen Van Jefferson do it uh, throughout the year. So really, just against the secondary, this is the group that we want to attack with reckless abandon. Obviously, Cup wide receiver one and OBJ and Van recommended starts as wide receiver threes. Matthew Stafford, we know it. He's always in the top 10, probably top eight in the smash spot. But the real interesting note, Dwayne, was Sony Michelle taking the hell over. 71% snaps, 18 carries, two targets. Daryl Henderson, just 29% snaps, six carries, and two targets. We have now seen Sony in his four stars this year get 23, 27, 20, and most recently 20 touches. He is locked in, man, as a low-end RB1. Like, Henderson's more involved than Sony was 
earlier in the year when it was Henderson as the lead back. But Dwayne, I think we'll be hard-pressed to rank more than, I don't know, seven, eight guys ahead of Sony, particularly against the Vikings defense that is 27th in rushing yards allowed uh, before contact per carry. So, Dwayne, I know the Vikings are pretty cut and dry. So, any uh, extra thoughts you kind of have on this utilization we saw in the backfield? Because I know we had, uh, shout-out Jordan Rodriguez. I know she gave this uh, note on Sunday, I believe, to... Um, might have been the segment, Bloom, uh, who I was actually on the couch with the other day. Check that one out, uh, everyone. Football guys always love talking with Sig, but maybe it was John Paulson from 444. One of them asked Jordan what she thought about yeah, the upcoming split. It was John Paulson. My bad, but shout out Sig. We love you too. Uh, with, with When John asked her, she said that she thought Sony would still continue to be the lead back. Now, we've heard McVay kind of dance around this topic before, but now we've seen it, Dwayne. So regardless of how we got here, it sure looks like Sony's an RB1 the rest of the way. Yeah, I mean, I have him more as that mid-range RB two, just because I, I still I'm I'm worried enough that Henderson could be a conditioning thing, like, and he gets Ooh. a little bit more work, and it gets closer to an even split. But like, if you get it, it doesn't matter. You're going to start Sony Michelle this weekend in most formats. Like, where I'm going to have him ranked, you're still going to be starting him most of the time. That's fair. Um, so I mean, I've got him, I'll have him inside my top 24. I haven't exactly locked it down. I'll have to do that here in just a bit and get everything posted. But yeah, I mean, when you look at um, the routes, 68% versus 24% for Sony Michelle. Short down and distance, 100% versus zero percent. Long down and distance, 92% versus 8%. They didn't use the two-minute offense last night. Um, so, I mean, it's only one game, but, I mean, that's near every down workload. And if we knew that that was going to stick, right, and there was no risk of Henderson's role increasing, I agree with you. Like, it would just be, okay, like, how do we fit him into the top 12? Because it's one of the top five offenses in the league, and you got the lead back. So, I mean, I think there's a lot of upside there. Um, to your mention on the Vikings, like, yeah, look, I got Dalvin Cook at number three, Justin <laughs> Jefferson at number three. Do you guys want to know anything else? We could. Let's keep an eye on Thielen. Yeah. He ended up, you know, looking more like a game time decision, you know, last week. So he could be getting close. It's a high ankle sprain. So we know those things can take three, four, five weeks sometimes to get back. But Thielen is one of those guys that seems to, you know, always be able to just kind of push through some of this stuff. So we'll see where he lands. I do have Thielen in my ranks right now, Ian, and I've got him at 22 overall on the week. The Rams are a pretty stiff matchup, but like this, this is one of the games you want to be a part of, right? You know, you've got the 47 and a half total, um, you know, I mean, sorry, the 49 and a half total, 23.25 points implied, you know, for the Vikings. So, I mean, that's decent. So you're going to, you're going to fire up all your Vikings that, that are available. Alexander Madison was activated off the COVID-19 list. You're not going to use him. This is all Dalvin Cook show, but just in case you guys are in like some super weird, freaky deep league, that you know, <laughs> I don't want to be a part of. All right, before we move on to just an absolute exhilarating matchup between the Jaguars and Jets, quick news we got, Dwayne, because we already broke this game down, and I didn't think Julio Jones was going to play this week after re-injuring his hamstring, but here he is practicing in full, seemingly on pace to play. The reactivation risk seems out of this world. We haven't seen the boom all season. I keep bringing up how we should have had hashtag a touchdown. Don't here, hashtag do. don't do it. Yeah. <laughs> Like we gotta don't, put don't like start him. Just, we're gonna have like, to put him in the ranks. It's gonna be like forty fifth or worse, I, right? Yeah, I, yeah. I, I'm I'm protesting. I'm gonna put him. In, I'm gonna rank him at the very bottom of my ranks. <laughs> put Julio when like people wide. ask how, I'm gonna say, look, I have two snaps projected. I have two routes. <laughs> put Julio like wide receiver ninety five just to watch the world <laughs> freaking burn. So no thoughts change on AJ Brown, and please try to find someone other than Julio. Glad Let's see who can be faster on this next one, Ian. You with the Jaguars or me with the Jets. <laughs> I, I put money on myself. Jaguars at the Jets. Jets one point 
favorite game total of 41 and a half. Trevor Lawrence has one passing touchdown since week nine. Zach Wilson has two. Laquan Treble showed the upside of this passing game with a PPR wide receiver 21 finish in week 15. Before that, the last time we had something better than wide receiver 25 was Jamal Agnew back in week 10. Translation, stay the hell away from this passing game. Luckily, we at least have James RB one son back. 83% snaps, 18 carries, four targets last week. Carlos Hyde is on IR. Urban Meyer is who the hell cares? He's not in Jacksonville anymore. And the Jets, as we know, have the league's single worst defensive fantasy points per game allowed to RBs. So you can rank Robinson RB8, rank him RB14. I don't care. As Dwayne said, you're starting him regardless. God love this matchup. And now, Dwayne, over to you for your hard-hitting Jets analysis. <laughs> Michael that Carter. That was fast. That was fast. Michael, Michael Carter is in a running back, uh, you know, by committee situation. <laughs> so that's the killer. Yeah, Tevin Coleman still hanging around. Got Austin Walter. Ian, got to have him involved. So, like, it just keeps it keeps Carter outside the top 24. Could he take over more work? Yes, we've seen him do it earlier in the season. I do think it's positive that he does have the – he has all the passing down work, which is the hardest thing for the young back, you know, to really take over. So, I think looking at Carter this week, I'll have him in that mid-range RB3 section. It is a good matchup, 9.1 out of 10 against – the Jaguars and it could be a game that should be close so there's a good chance for Carter to do a little bit more than where we'll have him ranked but you just need Tevin Coleman to get the hell out of the way Jameson Crowder didn't practice today no one cares uh with the calf injury that is it done you might have beat me with the increased tempo man that's on me yeah. I'm gonna watch I like to change up tempo you gotta change tempo up like you gotta keep the defense guessing man. I just try to slow the hell down so people can understand me. Uh, I know. But I, I don't, don't want to lose these. We get, we, I think you and I, it's like we want to get as much as much information <laughs> in as we can. I, I always need to remember, though, I need to picture people listening to this on one and a half speed or two speed. Like you probably just Bro. completely sound like, you know, the you know the end of a drug commercial. Like we're <laughs> telling people that they could die, uh, but no one wants to hear about it. Yeah. So. That uh, that is how it goes. What do you listen to podcasts on? I still go like 1.25 at the most. Like, I'm not in a hurry to get through this stuff. I don't have this like endless list of podcasts. I kind of enjoy hearing things at a normal speed. I go one and a half to two. Uh, most right. most CEOs listen at 2x, Ian, just so you know. Guess I'm the boomer in this situation. <laughs> Giants at the Eagles, Philly, 8.5 point favorites, game total of 40 and a half. Saquon, not hitting 60% snaps anymore, that is concerning, but they're just trying not to put too much tread on those tires, still 15 carries and eight targets. He's had RB2 production in four of the last five weeks. I get it, it's not pretty. We don't have that, you know, all-world RB1 ceiling really there anymore. At the same time, Eagles are a bottom 10 defense and fantasy points per game allowed to RBs. We saw Antonio Gibson, like that's that should be the blueprint for Saquon. An inefficient 15 carries where he falls into the end zone on one and then he catches six or seven balls and because of full PPR scoring, he winds up as an RB1. That's what we're hoping for as Saquon Barkley and it's sad that that's the ceiling we have at this point, but it is what it is. As for the passing game, bro, they haven't even reached 200 yards 207 of their last eight games. You know, I wrote in my wide receiver column that starting any wide receiver from this offense should require at least a few hours of community service. And I, I stand by it, man. We don't even know who's going to be out there. Galladay, Slayton, maybe Colin Johnson, maybe Kadarius Tony comes off the bench. 
If Tony is back, I would rank him the highest, but even then, man, like maybe I'll put him a spot ahead of Julio or something like that. Probably in the low end wide receiver four range, but truly, Mike Glennon, Jake Fromm, we don't care. Just stay away from this passing game. I think that goes for Evan Ingram as well. I get it. Best matchup possible. Eagles' worst defense and fantasy points per game. The tight end. That applied when they played a couple weeks ago, and Ingram still couldn't do anything, and he couldn't do anything when Kyle Rudolph wasn't even the picture in that one. So I think that was the game where we were like, if Ingram can't produce here, like we were just done with Ingram. And he did. So we're done with Ingram. Saquon, and you're not feeling great about it. So... How about the Eagles, though, Dwayne? And uh, I know I know we don't share a ton of stories about our personal fantasy teams on here, but I know you're hurting a little bit about this uh, Jalen Hurts situation. Sorry, my man. Yeah, I mean, we'll just start off with I'm an idiot. Um, <laughs> I should have played Jalen Hurts in my FFPC shootout teams. Um, I had to go with Ben and three of those. So I have nine teams that are in. Three of them have Hurts. And then so at the end of the year, like I had to have somebody for the bye week. I wasn't planning on having multiple weeks without Hurts. So like and people had taken all the quarterbacks like so it was just kind of a weird year like that um so anyway yeah i didn't start him and probably i don't know how much it's going to cost me it's going to be a lot it's going to cost me a lot i probably shouldn't even look to be honest like i should just not look moving forward like if as long as it's not 500 grand it's 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 like i can i can deal with it like if it's the 500 grand though like i'm going to freaking lose my mind just so folks know like it was the eagles that did this to me the last time just a few years back it was Zach Ertz. It was really Nick Foles, big dick Nick Foles, overthrowing <laughs> Zach Ertz in the flat about four yards away from oh. him. Uh, for one, that one reception would have boosted me to 250k, and I ended up winning 30k that mm. year. For I won second that year. So anyway, um, you know, moving moving forward. It, look, hey, COVID can do a lot of different things, man. Like there's going to be big swings in this thing. So I'll just, I'm just going to stay positive, Ian. Um, you know, if I need you, I'm going to definitely, I may use a, I may need to use a lifeline though. I may have Phone to call a you one night and, and, and cry, you know, as we drink together. <laughs> but anyway, um, yeah. So, I mean, as far as the Eagles go, like looking at this backfield last night, you know, I was all excited, Ian, like Miles Sanders in the first half was like dominating everything. Now he had two fumbles, like after he was already on the ground, but still it's like Miles Sanders. And you're just like, dude, don't give the coaches like any reason to doubt you, man. Why do you have to do this? And he was running in through, through some huge holes early in the game that I was just like, dude, you got to get more than that. Like you're running through a, a hole that's like, you know, five yards wide. It's like, you know, it's like the seas just parted right in front of you. And then you're running directly into the first, you know, the first tackler available. And like Sanders has got some good moves. We've seen him in the past. You know, he's got acceleration. But anyway, he got better as the game went. But then they just benched his ass in the second half. Not to bench him, but I think it was just they wanted to get Jordan Howard work. And he was the closer in the game. So Howard pretty much took over the whole second half and nearly caught up with Sanders in touches. So it's just, it's a mess. Like, um, and, and you had Gainwell still involved as well. Boston Scott was the odd, was the odd player out. So it's really a three-way committee. You got Jalen Hurts still poaching the carries inside the five. You know, he got two touchdowns last night in close. And so those things are problematic. But Sanders, you know, I mean, look, the offensive line is the most impressive part for the Eagles right now. Like the O-line is opening up some major holes no matter who is back there running the ball. And so I think that's the positive. So right now I've got Sanders as a borderline RB2 this week, Ian. I've got him actually right at 24. And then I've got Jordan Howard in the tier below. Um, I've got him sitting at uh, 35. So, I mean, I got them both inside the top 36, but am I excited about either one of them? No, just because I know they're not going to let either 
one of them run with it all. And I know the quarterback is also still involved. The positive is it is a it's a very heavy run team. Like over the last six weeks, it's the most run heavy team in the NFL. Um, it's the top three on the season. So they do like to get down with the run game. So that that's the thing that makes it actually, you know, where you could where they could come through because they run the ball so much, no matter what the game script is, trailing, leading, you know, getting blown out. It doesn't matter. Like there's not a game playing. It could be anything like and they're still running the ball. Um, as far as the receivers go, man, Ian, like I know you and I both love Devonta Smith. Like he's still out there plenty. Um, you know, he's doing some good things. It's just like the run heavy offense um, and how much they're using Goddard now. It's just tough to look at Devonte as anything more than either a high end wide receiver four or a low end wide receiver three, yeah. depending on how big your league is. Um, and, and look, he's a player that could still come through. It's just again run heavy offense, and it's just a situation where the game script can be pop, can be problematic. Dallas Goddard, I think uh, Hertz went back and watched that film of like Minshew just lighting Goddard up, you know, the week before the bye. And he's like, "Holy crap! Look at Dallas Goddard! Like most linebackers and safeties can't cover him." <laughs> yes, this is true. So um, with Goddard, I got him in the top five this week. Um, 5.9 out of 10 tight end strength of schedule, uh, 33 um, tight end matchup, which is fourth best on the slate. And you've got the Giants giving up 13.7 points per game um, to opposing tight ends in PPR format. And then Jalen Hurts, I have as my QB2 right now Ooh. on the week. Um, and look, he's in the top tier is the main thing. Like he could, he could get moved around. Um, but his quarterback strength of schedule, 6.7, offensive line pass block advantage of a 19. Look, I mean, Hurts is just like when he's out there, it's like it was just a reminder. Like, and it was obviously like a painful reminder to me. Like, look, there's just there's always so much upside. You know, we've only got two games this season where he's finished outside the top 12. You know, so he had a 27 in week 12. He had a 24 in week eight. Other than that, like you've had five, 10, 10, four, 11, seven, six, 12, seven, three, two. <laughs> like this guy, yeah, it wasn't a countdown to like a rocket liftoff. It was like a countdown <laughs> to Jalen Hurts explosion. Um, the dude is just, he's doing what you got to do as a fantasy guy. You know, he's running, but he's also, he's given just enough upside in the passing game that he can throw a touchdown or two there as well. Like he's one of the only guys like that truly gives you the true multiple could get multiple touchdowns passing and rushing. Like we have other guys like Taysom Hill. That's like, yeah, he's going to run the ball, but like, we're not, it's not like we're projecting him with an upside of throwing three touchdown passes. Like that would blow our minds. But with Hertz, we know that can happen. He could score, he could score two rushing and run for three, which puts him more on the plane of like with Kyler Murray and Lamar Jackson, even though they're better players. 10 rushing touchdowns for Hertz yeah. on the season. Miles Sanders has a league high 155 <laughs> score, uh, scoreless touches. And second place is Tevin Coleman at 75. I was making the joke on Twitter that it's kind of, you know, like Miles Sanders going up to Jalen Hurts, like, hey, man, can I maybe get one of these goal line carries? It's like in Ricky Bobby when Cal Norton asked Ricky if he could, like, maybe win a race. And Ricky's like, well, here's the thing, Cal, you know, if you win, then how am I going to win? And Cal's like, yeah, that's a good point. I didn't really think of it that way. So maybe one of these days Jalen can uh, help Miles get across that goal line. But I know his fantasy managers are just fine the way things are. Bills at the Patriots. New England sitting as two and a half point home favorites. Game total of 43 and a half. 
Let's see what version of Josh Allen comes out. We've talked about it being a roller coaster all year all year long, regardless of who they're facing. But specifically against the Patriots, man, we had that 2020 game in Week 16, 320 yards, four touchdowns, no picks. Seemed like you know a passing of the guard type situation. Obviously, switching from Cam to Mac has brought the Patriots back much faster than anyone thought. But other than that, man, like we've seen Belichick against Allen five separate times, and Josh hasn't thrown for more than 217 yards in those games. So. You know, weather had a lot to do with it in that uh, Week 13 game. I mean, there were two passes to Stephon Diggs. A deep ball like hit him in the arm, and then this back shoulder fade that Allen kind of uh, threw out of bounds where could have feasibly been touchdown. So I'm not worried about the J.C. Jackson shadow with Diggs. That was the case in that Week 16 game when Diggs torched him for three touchdowns. Uh, here's to hoping that weather, you know, isn't too screwy this time around, and we can at least get something close to the best version of Josh. Either way, though, all that rushing upside. It's why this year, even though he has been more erratic than you know what we saw in that world beater near MVP season in 2020 that's still he's still the QB one this year overall I believe maybe not on a per game basis but still in all those starting lineups and you continue to trust Josh Allen despite the semi-tough matchup same thing with Diggs and man same thing with Gabriel Davis where are we ranking Gabriel Davis Dwayne because I want him I want him above Gage I want him above Amon Ross St. Brown are we going all in top 24 or is he basically like right on that line I call him a borderline wide receiver too I'm feeling pretty good about it yeah, I have him in the same tier with those guys, right? I got Gage at 27. I got uh, St. Brown right now sitting at 30, but he'll move up. And I've got Davis at 31. So, like, they're Let's all. Let's see if Sanders right. plays. Do what? Let's see if Sanders plays. That could be the tiebreaker. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, look, we're going to be without Cole Beasley. So, you could have Sanders in that. the slot, right? Yeah. So, I mean, Beasley's got um, COVID 19, not vaccinated, so he's out. So I think no matter what, Gabriel Davis has a path this weekend to plenty of snaps. Oh, yeah. But if we get both of those fellows out, then we're really talking for Gabriel Davis. But, Dwayne, as you eloquently tweeted and as you alluded to in your utilization report against a man-heavy defense like the Patriots, we actually have seen Josh Allen already prioritize Gabriel Davis behind only Stephon Diggs in terms of his targets per route run. So someone you're feeling very good about and your flex worst-case scenario is the league's second most pass-heavy offense in non-garbage time situations. We're looking at a potential negative game script. You should be feeling good about having these sort of auxiliary pieces in the lineup. Dawson Knox, low end tight end one per usual this year. Tight end six in PPR points per game behind only Mark Andrews, Travis Kelsey, George Kittle, Rob Gronkowski, and Darren Waller. What a year for Knox. I know he had that horrendous game against the Patriots. Again, wind, snow. And the fact he was open enough to drop those passes, I know it doesn't make fantasy managers feel better but i think it does show you that you know it's not like they were just completely i'd be more concerned if knox was just shut down instead of him like dropping passes and accordingly not having a bunch of production so still starting him in majority of fantasy lineups the real interesting piece is Devin Singletary. So the one thing to keep in mind, because the Bills have not stuck to a real like a strict backfield pecking order for more than a few weeks all year. I think this game is at one o'clock, which would help us a lot. It is at one o'clock. We need to make sure that Zach Moss continues to be a healthy scratch. If we see Moss come back, that's a, as big an indication of anything that we're going to see this backfield get back to being two or more running backs. And as we're going to talk about next with the Ravens, and as we talked about Miles Sanders and the Eagles, when we have such a run-heavy quarterback, it's really tough to live with the two RB backfields. We say this a lot on this podcast where only so many workhorses, we can live with two running back committees, three and four, it gets complicated. When you have a Jalen Hurts, a Josh 
Allen, Lamar Jackson. That's essentially a third running back already added to the equation. So Singletary last week, 92% snaps, 22 carries, one target. That's borderline erotic usage. He is a legit RB2 if Moss stays out. And if, he, but if Moss comes back, that's where we're starting to get a little more worried about it. So maybe Moss comes back and Matt Breida is inactive. I don't think it'd be that huge of a downgrade then, but just keep that in mind with Singletary because it's usage-based. Right now he has the usage, not a guarantee to stay. Patriots defense, you know, they're good. We know they're good. Number one scoring defense in the league. We have still seen Jonathan Taylor, Deontay Foreman, and Dontrell Hurd surpass the century mark on the ground all since week 12. So we'll see, you know, who who Bill Belichick decides to take away. Number one option, you know, Jonathan Taylor, first number one option to ever score a touchdown against Bill Belichick. The mainstream media would lead you to believe. Thinking out of that uh, kind of line of reasoning, you would assume Stefan Diggs would be that guy. Maybe Singletary, maybe Gabriel, and maybe Knox could benefit otherwise. But again, it's Josh Allen and the Bills. These guys are capable of flaming just about any defense when everything is clicking. So don't fade these great players that got you here just because of a perceived tougher matchup than usual. Now, Dwayne with the Patriots, it continues to just suck, man, because this offense has put up, in my opinion, far more points than I was expecting throughout the year. But you look at wide receiver, tight end, and running back, at least when Stevenson and Harris are healthy, and there's really no one to feel all that good about. Maybe we have some flex plays, but in terms of a wide receiver two or even a running back two, if everyone's active, I'm not really sure how we're getting there. Yeah, I think it's tough. Um, it, it's like this across like the whole team. Like, who do you who do you choose? Like, is it Kendrick Bourne at receiver? Is it Hunter Henry at tight end? Like, it's it's rare to get like multiple guys going off together, right? And so, it's uh, it typically a it's a musical chairs thing. It changes each week. It's based on their matchup and what they see in the game. Like, this is typical like the way the Patriots are run. But it's just a more conservative approach, right? That we don't have like Tom Brady who can then all this, all of a sudden like just light the fire and feed everyone. You know, Mac Jones, maybe he can do that in the future, but that's not the way they're choosing to use him right now. Uh, with Mac Jones, I mean, the interesting thing is he does have over the last um, five games, he's QB4, 20, 7, 29, and 9. So he actually has three top 12 finishes in there. Um, again, a lot of that is coming on a run after catch stuff. He's not pushing the ball a ton you know, down the field. Did a little bit more so this last game. Um, so I think Mac Jones is doing some – he's doing some nice things, but it's just uh, – it's going to be real hit or miss, right? If you try to use him, um, you know, in your lineup, especially in, in season long, obviously there's no way you can trust him. But if you're in a super flex, like you got a little more hope now, like his, as him, him as your QB two, you know, there's some more upside that we weren't seeing earlier in the season. As far as the passing options for Mac Jones, like you have to keep an eye on Kendrick Bourne. He's added to the COVID-19 list, so he may not be able to play this week. We'll have to monitor that. Jacoby Myers, look, we, we love him. We know he's the number one target on the team. But, you know, it's just he's still not he's not able to do much with the targets he gets. Like he's great at getting open. He beats man coverage. He's one of the favorite players on the team. But again, a team that's willing to run the ball up to half half the time or more if they can, if the game script works out. And you mentioned, Ian, like they've been able like with these games with Buffalo, it's not like Josh Allen has just run away, you know, against the Patriots. So it's something where we could have a really close game where they don't have to throw the ball that much. And that worries me. So I've got Jacoby Myers at wide receiver 38. That's my only receiver I have from them in the top 50. Hunter Henry last week, um, you know, it was interesting. Like his utilization, and I went back and looked in the other games where the Patriots have actually trailed. They've only got three games this season where they've trailed by four or more points on 70% or more of their plays just to see like did Hunter Henry like in those games you know also go off like was that a situation where he was really you know involved and he did have 
uh, tight end 11 and tight end five finishes in those games. And then you get this tight end three finish last week. So really that's what Hunter Henry needs. He needs, he needs the offense on the other side to really, you know, score points on the Patriots defense and put the onus back on the Pats to need to pass the ball and get them out of that run heavy script that equals more routes for Hunter Henry. And that's really the key that just unlocks everything for him. But can we guarantee that's going to happen? No, Hunter Henry could be back to 60% of the routes this week, making him more of like a wide, a tight end 16 or 17 versus what we're hoping, which is a low end tight end one, which is where I've got him ranked this weekend. You know, he'll be in the top 15. I put him there every week. I just can't tell you which weeks that's going to hit the, the matchup itself is not good. The linebackers for Buffalo are actually really good against the tight ends. It's a 2.7 um, out of 10 tight end strength of schedule. Um, and only 8.3 points given up per game to opposing tight ends by the Buffalo defense. So pretty one of the more stingy defenses in the league. So it's hard to get super excited about Hunter, Hunter Henry, despite the fact that he did see more routes. He had a 21% target per route run last week, which is also really strong. Um, the running backs. Damian Harris, you mentioned it. They just they siphon off of each other. Ramondre Stevenson, look, it it, it could have happened, like, but they fell behind. And you yeah. folks saw. I know a lot of people wanted to read more into it. I saw a lot of stuff on Twitter. Well, no, Stevenson, man, he's got a chance just to take over every down. Like, when are you folks gonna learn? Like, they're not gonna do it. Like the Patriots just they're not. They're not gonna let us do this. Like I know eventually one day they may have an all-world talent like a Jonathan Taylor that forces their hand. Look, we all love Ramondre Stevenson, but he's not Jonathan Taylor. He's not that kind of player. Um, we'll have to I'm I'm not saying Stevenson can't be good in the passing game. We've actually seen him do that, but it just isn't happening. They're gonna use Brandon Bolden in that role. And if Damian Harris is back, guess what? Stevenson and he are going to split the early down work and Harris could even have the lead. It could be Stevenson in a slight lead, but you just have to cool like your expectations on these players. So I have both of them in tier four. I've got Damian Harris right now as RB 28. I've got Stevenson as RB 30. If you want to, if you think I'm an idiot and you should flip those two, that's fine. <laughs> I won't even argue with you. Like, cause I can't tell you which one's going to score more fantasy points, but I know they both, they both belong in the tier that I have them in. Just like a slightly poorer man's version of the Broncos. Because, of course, we need Brandon Bolden to go take all the fantasy-friendly targets away from them. Right. It, it would be like if Mike Boone, and I don't don't, don't even put that out there, right, in the universe. <laughs> but it would be like if Mike Boone was involved you exactly. know, for, for most of the passing down work. Knock on wood, that doesn't happen. Sorry. Like, Damn if it, that Dwayne. happens, I am so Damn screwed. It. Like, no one's going to like me anymore. <laughs> Ravens at the Bengals, Cincy two and a half point home favorites, game total of 44 and a half. So Lamar really seemed like a game time decision last week. At a minimum, you know, he seemed to be improving, had a better chance to play as Sunday got closer, ultimately didn't. Open up the week with a DMP on Wednesday, so we'll see what happens. But man, this is like division season on the line. You would think if Lamar can even hop around on one leg, he will be out there. Whether or not he can be his usual effectiveness remains to be seen because he has crushed the Bengals on the ground. 80 plus yards and or a touchdown and five of six career meetings against Cincy. So if Lamar's not, Tyler Huntley will be under center once again. And based on what we've seen in his three starts this year, no, it's not a one-for-one switch with Lamar to Huntley. But at least, you know, in terms of the rushing upside, he's shown two rushing touchdowns last week. The ability to keep Mark Andrews going. Got Bateman over 100 yards two weeks ago. Marquise Brown still catching five passes. We don't need to, like, tank the entire offense if it is going to be the Huntley show again. And I do think he would, you know, warrant low-end QB1 consideration 
rotation based on that rushing upside, particularly seeing you know, Fields could be a little bit banged up. Uh, you know, Tannehill, we'll see if he gets AJB back. Things like that, I think, could ultimately boost Huntley up into the starting conversation. We'll know more on this as the injury situation unfolds. Unfortunately, Lamar or Huntley, that's the only guy from the backfield we can feel good about because Latavius started last week and wound up out touching Devontae Freeman for the first time since week six. Again, we can usually live with two RB backfields, not when we have such a run first quarterback under center and the Bengals' fifth best defense in yards before contact per carry doesn't help matters for either guy. So Freeman, Latavius, you know, Dwayne, you were saying where you had Damian and uh, Stevenson. I put these two even below them deeper down into that RB3 tier. Just not guys I'm trying to start or F with this week. Now, with the passing game, it's been going good for Mark Andrews, and it's not been going terrible for everyone else. Just realize, like, you know, these... It's good to see the Ravens have a passable passing offense more weeks than not. They've still been under 225 passing yards in five of their last six games. Hollywood has at least five catches in six straight games. No touchdowns or 60 plus or over 60 yards in five straight, though. So we've seen him give us a nice floor. Sure would be a lot cooler if we had some of that boom coming. And with Bateman, man, it seemed like we could finally get on the train a little bit. It keeps going back and forth. One week he balls out. We expect more usage. Then Sammy Watkins is back in. He takes it away. Or Sammy Watkins. Misses the game with COVID like last week, and Bateman still can't do just about anything with it. So, Bateman. Like, I'll put him above guys like Cortland Sutton, even, like, obviously at this point. Let's put Sutton next to Julio, like, at 95th. Um, but I think he's, like, a boomer bust wide receiver four in the manner where, like, we have seen him have these big weeks before, so we know it's possible. We're not trying to predict something that literally hasn't happened all year. Just realize this. Mark Andrews' world behind that is going to be Marquise Brown and then Bateman in this passing game that, again, hasn't had all that much upside. But if they are going to go with Bateman, hopefully they do so against Eli Apple, PFF's 80th highest-graded cornerback in coverage grade. Chidobia Wuzier is 7th and Mike Hilton in the slot is 15th. So Apple is certainly the, you know, one you want to pick off the tree first, if you will, with the shitty <laughs> metaphor. Uh, real quick on Mark Andrews. 1.2 PPR point lead over Travis Kelsey for overall tight end win honors. We will see if he can snap that streak, get that championship belt. If you have Mark Andrews on your squad, you are absolutely loving this hot stretch he has been on throughout the second half of the season. Now, Dwayne, Joe Burrow and company, I was doing uh, my QB predictions article and looking at his performance against the Blitz, really the league's best quarterback by most metrics against the Blitz. And the Ravens, Blitz at the league's, I believe, sixth highest rate overall this season. And even though the Bengals blew the hell out of the Ravens back when they played earlier this year, we saw Burrow really finally have that sort of high-end pass game volume that we were hoping for. Maybe it's wishful thinking by me. We've been asking Zach Taylor to increase his volume all year long. I am hopeful, Dwayne, that maybe, just maybe, with the season on the line, they start to put this offense in the burrow and these dope wide receivers' hands a little more often. I'm probably just hoping, though, because we haven't really seen it. Yeah, last last week was just kind of weird. Like it, it, To me, what it said is they thought they really respected the Broncos' secondary despite having all – I would never respect any freaking secondary with those receivers. I do not care who it is. Right. I would never respect any secondary. I would not care. I would still – I would always be a passing offense with these elite receivers. But I think what they chose to do is they chose to, you know, just – 
figure out a way to not lose the game. That's the way they wanted to approach the game against the Broncos. I think they figured as long as they didn't give up big plays as far as turnovers, that would help them. They never trailed by four or more points in the game, so it worked out that way. But, I mean, it was the lowest um, play total for the Bengals since week eight. It was 53, which is their second lowest of the season. But they had been in a nice little stretch before that, Ian, of 75, 74, 68, 75, 67. Like, we can support multiple weapons. Like, when you're, when you're running that many plays now they still run the ball a lot so it kind of still can make it tough you know on the receivers but look there's there's a way to to keep joe mixon involved there's a way you know to to still you know do what you want to do as far as not turning the ball over and you don't have to turn into like a freaking snell like 53 plays that's like that's that's getting it's not quite there but it's getting down towards seattle seahawks territory which nobody wants to be in that territory but it's where we saw the Bengals earlier in the season so i think it was more of a blip at this point ian so i don't want to overreact to it still feel really good and here's the cool thing like they get the ravens and the ravens interestingly i was i uh man i gotta send you this like so i've like been pulling all this new kind of data and stuff that we have like we're getting towards the end of the season you know we have the itch to find new stuff i know you do this too ian um but looking at just the way that um you know, the Ravens have been really handling, you know, their coverage and looking at, you know, the injuries that they've suffered, you know, over the last several weeks. So the Ravens are the sixth heaviest man coverage team in the league. Um, and really, dude, they don't have anybody left and they don't care. They're still running man coverage like they're still one of the top ones. So I'm just going to read like early in the season, they did have some 50 percent. Um, some games where they ran man 50%, which is really high. Just so folks know, like to give you an example, like um, the highest man coverage team in the league is the Dolphins and they run it 47% of the time, right? That's the top. Really high is still like 35%. And so the Ravens are at 39% on the season. So if you look back to, they started incurring these injuries like around week eight and nine, and man, they've just kept on 34%, 38%. These are their percentage man coverage, 45, 43, 32. Last week, 37% with basically like corners like you and me out there covering people. <laughs> so they're, they're, they're dedicated to this. Well, what does that mean? You're going to have bad corners. Now they could switch. But they haven't seen it all year. They've only had one game where they they had one game and it was week two and they ran man coverage only 8% that game for some reason. Uh, I can't tell you why. But out of other than that, it's been all they've been one of the heaviest man coverage teams every game. And so now you're going to get these one on one matchups with Jamar Chase, with T Higgins against cornerbacks that are not very good. <laughs> so unless the Ravens change their game plan, which if I were their coaching staff, I would this week. Um, so there's always the chance of that. But it looks really good overall. So one, I think the volume thing was a blip last week. Two, yeah. you got a really good setup against a team that looks like they want to stick with just the way that they like to run their defense, even though they've lost all of their top cornerbacks, which brings me to where do I rank these freaking guys? Where do I rank these guys? I got to get my ranks back up in front of me, Ian. Um, so I've got Jamar Chase and T Higgins both inside my top 12 this week. I got Ooh. Jamar Chase at number nine. I have Higgins at number 10. And it's just an upside thing, man. Like when you look at them, like I'm going to name some other receivers um, and you tell me like if you would rank these guys ahead of Jamar Chase or T Higgins. And I okay. think at best, like they're going to be close, right, to these guys. So Tyler Lockett, would you rather play him over Jamar Chase or T. Higgins? No. Nope. A.J. Brown? Pains me, but no. <laughs> I had to throw that one at you. Yeah. Jalen Waddle? No. D.K. Metcalf? 
No, man. Like, so I these thought are this the guys, were going to be tougher. I'm below yeah. them. It's just yeah. like, and that's the process I go through when I'm ranking. Like, I, 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 you know, obviously I'm looking at the data, but I also put myself basically through a start set, like with everybody I rank. Yeah. I'm like, would I really start this guy over this? And sometimes it's close and I end up just having him in a tier and I'm like, okay, I'm not going to like sit here. And, and sometimes you myself. do it. And then like a couple days later, like someone asks you a start sick question. You start, you're like, well, hold on. I got to look at this. I again. do. I do. I have to go back and look. press on my head after that. Because I really think like rather than ranks this is not to get off on a soapbox but like I, we do ranks because we have to but that's ultimately and that's why we give you the tiers that's why i do yeah. a tier article too to just basically say look these guys i the data says they're all similar but i'm going to put them in the order like the way that i would start them some of them mm-hmm. obviously are going to be closer calls than others but really it's not a it's it's not just a rank it's really more of a like if i had to work through like the start set questions like this is Hopefully, like that's what you guys are looking at it for, right? You don't have to always ask me on Twitter. I'm happy to answer, but really, that's I put a lot of time into the ranks, and hopefully, I follow my answers. Sometimes, like I do, have to always go make sure they're like, okay, before I answer, is it the same? So, Jamar Chase, T against both inside the top twelve. Obviously, CJ Uzama, we're not going to worry about. Tyler Boyd did come through with a big week last week, um, so that was really nice to see for Boyd. But I still think of him as a low end wide receiver three. Ian, most weeks we really yep. wanted to just be on Higgins. We want to be on Chase. Obviously, if I like those two receivers that much than Joe Burrow is inside my top 12, which he is. And Burrow, look, like last week, yes, he did come up small for us, um, you know, with the with the QB 20. But the weeks before that, like he's pretty much been a low-end QB 1, 9, 9, 10. He had a 21 before that, a 24. But then before that, at a 9, a 2, an 8. So the problem we've had with Burrow is he hasn't given us those big he – didn't, he didn't give us the top threes. And a lot of that does come back to the offense because when they get out ahead, they don't just keep the accelerator jammed down to the to the floor um, like we would hope they do. They will then switch over to the running game and they'll just grind it out, you know, to win the game, you know, and they'll they'll be at 50-50 pass versus run. So I think that's the thing that's the limiting factor for Burrow. So we really need a shootout and we could get it. Like like you said, there's a lot on the line. These two teams are both trying to get into the playoffs. So I, this is one of the games I'm more excited about from a DFS standpoint as well this weekend. And yeah, you mentioned how the Bengals are happy to coast once they're, you know, ahead. Cool stat from PFF's own Mike Renner at PFF underscore Mike. Last week, Joe Burrow threw one pass on first downs in the entire second half compared to 10 design runs. That one pass, 56 yards to the house for yeah. Mr. Tyler. And Mixon did practice today, folks. So he'll be in the top 12. Um, I know he, he left that game with an ankle injury, but good news that he's already practicing on Wednesday. 100%. Chargers at the Texans. LAC nine point favorites game total of 50, 45 and a half Justin Herbert he's really been awesome in the system like that's the thing when we talk about Herbert not throwing downfield enough like I don't think that's him not taking the opportunities I think it's Joe Lombardi's offense not asking him to throw deep like if it was up to Herbert I really don't think he would be a bottom seven QB in deep ball rate he is though and look it's not like this offense has been a train wreck throughout the year it's more so like we really wish Mike Williams and one of Geithner Palmer could have more consistent downfield opportunities because they are very good at what they do as well this t- this offense is already borderline great they could be awesome, I think, if they were just, again, doing a little bit more to take advantage of the skill sets they have. But you know what? Credit to Herbert, man. League best, only a 1.6% turnover-worthy play rate. So, yeah, he's being asked to be this kind of conservative, dink and dog passer, but he's also doing it pretty damn well. So we know he's always got the boom if things are going for him. And, hey, let's face it, the floor is pretty high as well. 
awfully fun to watch. I love having Herbert and Burrow from that class, man. Chargers and Bengals offense is looking very good for many years to come. Uh, we'll see maybe, though, if losing Austin Eckler potentially. Um, he is on the COVID list, although he wasn't officially he put did. on it. They There's... just added him just now. Okay. Officially well, added him. Yeah. It's weird why that took that amount of time. Not looking good. As Dwayne and I talked about on the waiver pod, Justin Jackson is the leader in the clubhouse after seeing it last week. We kind of figured he would originally at least be the leader on pass downs, but to see him actually going mono for mono with Austin Eckler in terms of the carries was more surprising. Might not persist. You know, we are going to have Larry Roundtree likely active. Joshua Kelly is there to siphon away some early down work as well. But at a minimum, man, Justin Jackson is going to be right there in that kind of RB25 to RB28 to RB30 range um, as an RB3 against the Texans' bottom seven, bottom seven defense fantasy points per game to running backs. On to the receivers. Keenan Allen since the bye. Wide receiver 14, 3, 9, 14, 21, 9, and 10. Like as much as Herbert not throwing downfield as much as we prefer hasn't been great for Mike Williams, it's been incredible for Keenan Allen. The guy is a freaking vacuum. And yeah, throwing the ball to him as much as possible, man, it makes sense. I love that touchdown he had against the uh, Bengals actually couple weeks ago where Herbert threw this thing probably like 120 miles per hour you know in between, in a window and Keenan catches it and he says he practices with the jug machines because he's like and because they asked him like do you want Herbert to like take something off that ball in the future and he goes no like just throw that I think he said throw that bitch in there you know and I'll come down with it so uh, I, that's what was going through my head as Mike Williams unfortunately <laughs> dropped those two Couldn't passes uh, yeah, yeah exactly that was the exact quote I was thinking of when that happened so Mike it was his first dud <laughs> of the year stumping like throw all of them to me. <laughs> Keenan's like five feet away from the jugs machine, just you know, take taking some off the dome to to be doing that. Mike Williams just sitting off on the sideline. Uh, it was the first dud from Mike this year in a game with more than eight targets, but man, you could not ask for a better bounce back spot. Texans 31st in yards per attempt allowed on passes thrown at least 20 yards downfield. Look, the days of hoping that Mike could be, you know, a consistent wide receiver one, wide receiver two alongside Keenan, obviously in the past, but hey, we know he is a boomer bust wide receiver three, and this sure as hell looks like a game where we could expect him to boom more so than others. So Mike doesn't need to be in starting lineups, but you know, he's definitely someone that if we see those uh, ownership projections shaking out more towards Keenan, more towards Justin Jackson, these other guys definitely look to pivot to Mike Williams. We know he has the potential to go for over 100 and score multiple touchdowns during any given week. It sucks there's a floor with that too. At least he has that ceiling though. A lot of guys can't even attest to that. And then finally, Jared Cook. Even after losing Donald Parham after he dropped that touchdown and suffered the scary concussion in the first drive of the game, Cook still only played 54% of snaps because Steven Anderson and Trey McKitty are every bit as involved. Cook has not posted a tight end one finish since before the Chargers week seven bye. Please don't start him. I know the matchup is great. Cook isn't 100% washed, but come on, people. We got better options than Jared Cook out there. Conklin, Ertz, all those guys. I think I'll have a hard time ranking Cook inside my top 15 tight ends on the week. I'll start Jared Cook over Evan Ingram. That's the <laughs> furthest I'll go with it, Dwayne. That's the furthest I got. Uh, now with the Texans. So, so, so where, I, do you have, where do you have Justin Jackson? This week, Ian, where are you thinking? Uh, I, I'm I'm doing my ranks later tonight. Like I said, I'm thinking probably RB 26, 27. Okay, I, I, I'm at 26 right now, so I feel like he is he, he's he's in that low RB two conversation, shall we say? So yep. And with the Texans, now. man, Cooks is out, so I don't have anything to talk news? about. Yeah, Brandon <laughs> Cooks is out, so I don't like there. There's nothing to talk about. We can actually just move on. I will say, Davis Mills, like. 
looking okay. Like, look, hey, he's out, he, he's still out there balling. Like, he's got a job to do. Yeah. Give him credit. He's trying to get it done. Um, and so we'll see what happens with Mills in the future. But obviously they need a quarterback because they're going to have to move on from Deshaun Watson. We'll see what happens there. But no, nothing to really cover here. You don't want to use the backfield. It's a complete mess. The receivers behind Brandon Cooks, you know, you could say Nico Collins, but let's, you know, Nico's done some nice things, but targets per route run is still too low. This isn't a guy that's like demanding looks, right? So remember, it just doesn't always work out for receivers whenever all of a sudden you see somebody get more routes doesn't mean they're going to get more targets because they have to get open the quarterback has to trust them to run the right route against the right coverage all that sort of stuff and, and so that's why a lot of times we see like Michael Hardman all of a sudden get this big role and everybody's like what the hell happened how'd Michael Hardman like score eight points whenever he was in a in a route 100 percent of the plays because of stuff like that like that, that not everybody understands so I'm just staying away from the Texans offense altogether and by the way, Brevin Jordan had a hand injury last week. Which was oh, why is that what it was? He was not fulfilling his prophecy as a solid DFS there pump play. Buccaneers at the Panthers. Tampa Bay 11-point favorites. Game total at 44. Again, waiver pod. We go all over all things. Rojo, he is going to be at worst an upside RB2 in this spot. Someone that Christmas you should be Christmas tree starting. player of the week. Ding, ding, ding. Christmas tree player ding, of the week. Ding, yeah, ding. It's all oh. green. Minus Let's 11 spread, go. that's great for a running back. 27.5 implied points, that is super green. Second best on the slate. 7.3 out of 10 on the running back strength of schedule. I don't know why that's, I'm saying upside RB2. I'd, I'd recommend him ahead of Cordero Patterson this week. Do you? Dude, I've got him number seven. Okay, i got Ronald Jones seven overall. Offensive great. line run blocking advantage, 75. Uh, that is second best on the slate. This Christmas tree only has green lights. There are no red lights on Ronald Jones's Christmas tree this week. So you folks... We hope, A, you scooped him up. We've talked about him for weeks now. We will give ourselves a little pat on the back for that one, Ian, because that's a good one. That's a good one. Not that we're rooting for someone to get hurt, but it was just one of those situations where it was too easy. It's like, look, all these other good handcuffs are gone. The last remaining obvious one that no one wants is Leonard Fournette's, and because we've seen Jones do it in the past. So, sorry. I had to throw it out there. This is your Christmas tree player of the week, Ian. On Christmas, you have to have this. I always, I always appreciate the Christmas trees. I can even see a Christmas tree on uh, your whiteboard uh, behind yeah, you. Yeah, Zoe so. drew that one. Yeah. Great job, Zoe. Love it. Great day to be a great Christmas tree drawer. Ryan Fournette, fourth in expected PPR points per game, and that's why we were pitching Rojo as such a great handcuff. League's number one ranked scoring offense, even after goose egging. A-plus game script as 11-point favorites. Rojo starting lineups of all shapes and sizes in Week 16. Hey, real quick, Ian and I I know I've had a lot of folks hit me on Twitter. Hey, is he going to be in every down role? Look. Keyshawn Vaughn handled the passing down rolls. We covered that on the waiver wire pod. He didn't look good. He'll probably get another shot at it. We'll see. But there is upside for Jones to take that role. But here's the big thing. The Pats, long down and distance, they face long down and distance the least in the NFL. So you don't need that role as much. This week, they probably are not going to use the two-minute offense as 11-point favorites over the Panthers, right? So there could be hardly any need for the change of pace back. They're going to stay ahead, you know, in the down and distance game. So what that can equal for Ronald Jones, even though he wasn't the passing down back last week, and we saw this earlier in the year with Lenny before he took over the passing down role, it can still equal a week where you get 70, 75% of the snaps because of the way that the Bucks offense operates. I was about to say, I know by the end of it, even before Giovanni Bernard got hurt, Fournette was taking over yep. basically everything. Before that, we were still seeing him have five, six catch exactly. games, even with Gio in there. And that's just, you know, Tom Brady, he reads 
it's that uh you know that one uh, mic'd up clip where he was doing a play action to Fournette and he's like cover two and you see him immediately pick up six yards to Fournette sitting there like when he is so far ahead mentally of everyone else yeah dude he sets up those easy check downs and, and people, they're pretty man and people can't forget like last week I mean last year don't forget like how good Ronald Jones was in the games where you did not have Leonard Fournette like it was huge he had in week four he was an RB fourteen with eighteen point eight fantasy points. We Week six, he was RB4, 26.1. Week 10, he was RB4, 26.8. Technically, Lenny played that game, but he hardly got any snaps. And then week 14 was RB14, 15.4 points. That's in PPR. So Ronald Jones, is he's in for a big game. And that week 10 game, 26.8, that was against your buddies here, the Panthers. Dude, it really wasn't even close last year. Like before Rojo got hurt, he was they were talking about potentially cutting Fournette. Yeah. Like he was a healthy <laughs> no, scratch in like week 14-15 last year. So even this year, man, like Rojo's averaging 4.8 yards per carry. And I know that's not the be-all end-all running back metric, but still pretty good start Rojo. And for the love of God, start Antonio Brown. Only five games this year where he was active. Wide receiver 12, wide receiver 91. That's a dud. That happens when you have Chris Goblin and Mike Evans out there. They're no longer out there. But guess what? Anyway, wide receiver 31, wide receiver 4, and wide receiver 6. Bruce Arian says, like, A.B. looks like his old self before the ankle injury. That's scary because A.B. was looking like his 2017-2018 self before that ankle injury. On the year, only Cooper Cup is averaging more yards per out run than A.B. He's actually tied with Debo. Either Away, top three, truly some special stuff. Now I think he. So where are you going to be, and where are you going to be on? People have. To, I know you haven't done your ranks. I'm here to back you up. Like top I'm looking. 10. I'm, top look, 10. I'm looking at my number. It's top ten. Yep, I have an eight. There we go. Easy. EFM, Dwayne. Easy effing money, as the kids say. The volume, it's just too much, man. I do think I'll catch the Gilmore shadow. Credit to Gilmore. Russell Gage, four catches, 64 scoreless yards. Stephon Diggs, four catches, 35 yards, and a tutty. With that said, though, only Cooper Cup and Devontae Adams are averaging more targets per route run than A.B. Like, come on, guys. It's Antonio freaking Brown. Healthy, no Goblin, probably no Evans with the hamstring starting off the week with the DMP. Get A.B. into all those lineups. Also, last week, first time all year, Rob Gronkowski, not a top 10 fantasy tight end. We're going back to the well there. My tight end four on the week, Kelsey, Andrews, Kittle, only guys ahead. If you want to put them five or six, then okay, I'm not going to completely freak out. Still someone that should be in all those lineups. So, Dwayne, I, I feel Panthers. Like, I feel like since you like are the true Sam Darnold fan, like you should be <laughs> yeah, the Panthers part me. since he's going to get playing time. <laughs> Is he actually getting playing time? Like That's, that's what the, Matt Rule said. Oh Matt Rule has said at some point in the game, Sam Darnold's going to play football this week. So well, you've got a complete mess. There's really nothing to talk about here, folks. We don't want to – you can't use the quarterbacks with this news. Um, Cam, at least last week, got to play all of it without any two-minute offense going to Philip Walker, P.J. Walker. Um, so there's nothing you can do here. We talked about Chuba on um, the recap show. Look, I mean, it's 30% of the carries. Cam Newton's still going to play running back. I'll guarantee you that. So that's going to be a problem. you got Amir Abdullah taking all the passing down work. So really it's just DJ Moore, and he's questionable right now uh, with a hamstring injury. Did not practice today, but he started last week off the same way. And, and look, DJ is still getting, like, king utilization. Like, it is – it's alpha. Like he every like, man, I just want to see DJ Moore with a good I hope this isn't what you said on the other pod where it's just like he never it's like Allen Robinson again, never gets a good quarterback. Like, come on, man. We've got to get DJ Moore out of this situation. But it is what it is right now. And it's a zero point eight 
out of 10. Uh, oh. that's, not, that's not an 8. That's a 0.8 <laughs> on the wide receiver strength of schedule. Not very good, buddy, against the Bucks, who are now healthy, really, in the secondary. Yeah, that's the scary part. Bro, DJ hasn't finished in the top 20 since week four. Like, that's how bad he's been running. It's just one one bad quarterback it's like after eight or another. 10 targets every week, and he still can't do it. Dude, like I was, you know, sometimes I'm trying to find like my Baker slander stats and I end up stumbling upon like another bad passing offense where the wide receivers are suffering. And this year, 47 qualified QBs, you know, PFF passing grade when targeting open or wide open receivers. Darnold is 34th, Cam Newton is 46, and PJ Walker is 47. So literally for the last like six weeks, they've been playing with the single two worst quarterbacks in the league at just, you know, getting the ball to wide receivers when they're open. Free. DJ Moore, for the love of God. Bears at the Seahawks. Seattle, six and a half point favorites. Game total at 43. What's, is it an ankle for Fields? Yes. Oh, yeah. man. That's not good. So, it's not all on Fields. Uh, but he was limited, right? He still practiced. He wasn't Yeah, I just today. want him to be able to move the way he usually <laughs> You want That's, him to be able to move? Uh, yeah. yeah, that'd be ideal behind that <laughs> offensive line. Because it's one thing after another. I, I, we've talked about Fields processing. He has a ways to go himself. So do the, yeah, When you take a sack line. on a screenplay, you've got a ways to go. Like I, I that, get it. But, man. You, you know to put that one in the, in the dirt. Like that, That's like everybody knows that. But, look, I'm with you. I'm not trying to jump all over the kid. Like he's doing some good stuff still. Go, go. Give me some room when you get to David Montgomery. I want to jump in with him. Mooney is good. I like Darnell Mooney. He's done some good things. He should not be your undisputed number one wide receiver in the NFL. Like, when we see Fields play, man, it's not a situation like Carolina or Cleveland sometimes where you just see open receivers and the ball's not landing anywhere near them. Like, the Bears rank dead last in percentage of routes where the player was deemed to be open. 36%. It has just been so tough. And that's not all on the wide receivers. It's on Nagy's coaching. It's on Nagy's coaching it's on the scheme it's on partially the wide receivers as well maybe fields isn't getting the ball like when they are open but either way man just absolutely brutal i'd really like to stay away from this passing game man and fields i get it because of that rushing and just what he's able to do you know on mop-up time you know unlike unlike lawrence and wilson at least fields has shown he can put up some points when his team is getting blown out but this year he is number one in average target depth downfield which is fun i like seeing that but as we kind of saw in that rams game man save for cooper cup having a couple nice catches deep Seattle this year has been an awfully good bend but don't break defense they're actually top three and completions allowed on 20 plus yard passes downfield yards per attempt explosive pass play rate and QB rating so Fields Mooney Robinson I would just probably I'm gonna be picking the other guy if it's a close start sit question that's really how it goes with all these offense we talk about implied points a lot real simple when you take the game total and the spread you know each team is implied to score a certain number of points and there's a very useful tool on fancylabs.com their cool Vegas dashboard that allows you to sort this easily there here are the teams this week implied for fewer than 20 points so if you have a close start sit question and the players on one of these teams barring just a volume hog running back you should probably pick the other guy Washington, Cleveland, Chicago, Detroit, Pittsburgh, Houston, Miami, Carolina, and the Giants. General rule of thumb, try to avoid those offenses if it is at all close, which takes us to the running back position, Dwayne, because Dave Montgomery does have a workhorse role, and God bless his heart, 319 touches without a fumble. Unfortunately, that streak is over, but credit to him for getting there. And as much as, you know, hey, defenses, you know, 
you might stop one thing, but I think just like, a, you know, fight. I'm a huge MMA fan. One of the things they talk about is with all the different things you can do in a fight, takedowns, kicks, punches, every technique has a benefit, but it also has, you know, something that can leave you exposed. It can leave a, you know, corresponding hole in your game. And even though the Seahawks are very good at taking away those deep balls, that does leave them a little more vulnerable underneath, which means they're 31st in yards per attempt allowed on targets to running backs. Montgomery, five plus catches in three straight weeks. You know, Dwayne, it's one of these things where, kind of like Josh Jacobs, where I feel weird ranking Montgomery as a true top five, top eight back, even though that's what his usage says because of the offense. With that said, man, line him up. Get him in those starting lineups no matter what. Yeah, but so the other pluses for Montgomery, right? 30.2 rushing attempts given up per game over the last six Ooh. by the Seahawks. So that's the sixth most in the league. That's excluding overtime just to kind of make it equal for everyone. I mean, so like, yeah, there are some teams that are above that, but like anytime you get to that 30 number, that's really good. The second thing is the Seahawks play the most zone in the NFL and they play it every week. They never veer away from it. It is always zone, 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 and more zone. So you're going to have Dave Montgomery in a spot where should be a close game, you know, against the Seahawks. I don't even necessarily agree with the spread. Like, like what Seahawks team has, have these people been watching? Um, but <laughs> From that perspective, like, it doesn't matter. He's going to be involved in the passing game, going to be involved in the running game. So, I mean, you're going to see his target share go up this week. Like, Montgomery could legit this week, man. Like, he could get 30 touches. Like, it could be that high. This could be that kind of game for him. And it's the Seahawks D. You could score a touchdown, too. So, like, even though, yes, it is a low implied total, like, I love David Montgomery this week, and he is definitely in the top 10. David Montgomery, RB1 season. Love to see it. <laughs> Easy. Now, Back to you, Dwayne, with the Seahawks. Slightly more muddled backfield. I would note Rashad Penny, unfortunately, keeps getting banged up. So the splits weren't great uh, in that in that Tuesday night game. But, Dwayne, it's also tough for me to look at DJ Dallas as someone that we could like because Peter Peterson could be back. Alex Collins could be back. Who the hell knows who they could sign next? What are we doing this Seattle? Yeah, Travis offense? Homer is the other back that they'll have available if they need to in the passing down. So DJ Dallas got one of those rare games where – they only had the two guys active, you know, yeah. and so it was forced to him. It's not that, you know, he did anything. And not that DJ Dallas is a bad player, but it's not like he's won this role. It's just basically he was the last person standing so they didn't give it to him. <laughs> so it's some sort of an abdomen injury. Um, so Rashad Penny, you know, we'll see what happens. He did come back in the game and he was he was playing in the second to the last drive. Last drive, they had DJ Dallas out there because they were really trying to well, I don't, I don't think Seattle even knows what the hurry-up looks like. But they had <laughs> apparently they knew they were going to throw the ball at least, and they had DJ Dallas out there on the field. So, um, yeah, with Penny, look, it's it's going to be tough. Like I think he's got to be outside the top 24 again. Um, we'll have to monitor the injury report. Yeah. It's it's a West Coast team, so we don't have all the data yet. At this point, we're recording it, you know, 5 o'clock Eastern right now. So still probably another hour away from actually getting the full information on what happened with Rashad Penny at practice today. Um DK Metcalf, man, like went nuts from a target share standpoint, just wasn't able to come through with Tyler Lockett out. I still see him as a top 20, you know, receiver. Uh, the Bears have a terrible secondary, so wide receiver strength of schedule this week. It's a 10 out of 10, you know, for DK Metcalf this week. It's 10 out of 10, obviously, for Tyler Lockett if we can get him back. Um, with Lockett, you know, it'll be interesting to see, like, is there any kind of conditioning concern with him? You know, this, you know, COVID-19 just affects all these players differently. And we've seen some players come back, they pop right in and, 
you know, like Keenan Allen, they're ready to rock. They're ready to do it. We see guys like Amari Cooper come back and they just, you know, it's not quite the same. They need another week to get back and reasonably so. So it's a wait and see really with Lockett. But I mean, I'll have him inside my top 20 this week. Right now I've got he and Metcalf in tier three. The matchup is really juicy against Chicago. But again, you just, man, this offense, I can't, like, I can't stand it. Like, it just – it makes me insane to see, like, these elite players getting, you know, this type of volume. And it's honestly well, like well, – Trent, what was the number of plays at halftime? 19. 19. 19 offensive snaps at halftime. That Dude, that is insane. <laughs> so, I mean, when you look at, you know, the Seahawks – That's like one Eagles drive. <laughs> it was one Eagles drive. You know, so, the Seahawks on the year – Plays per game, 54.7. That's worst in the league. Next worst is 59.1. So, like, literally, like, they're breaking, like, they're having, they break the curve, right? You know, it's supposed to be a nice, smooth tell, and no, it just, like, (laughs) falls straight off, like, with the Seahawks. Um, So, I mean, it's, it's problematic. Like if you look at it over the last, it's not any better. Like even if you try to slice it any way you want since week 10, it's 55.6 instead of 54.7. You know, their dropbacks per game, 33.8 per game. That's 30th in the NFL. So it's just like, there's just not enough volume, man, to do anything with. And they're just not very good. You know, so it it, it just weighs everybody down. Like we were hoping with Russell Wilson, like he was starting to see a little bit of a spark, you know, Ian, I don't know if you have anything to add on top of this but i mean just from a fantasy you know finish standpoint we had seen a little momentum right a, a nine a 14 and a and a 15 finish like not like we don't love 14 or 15 but we'll take it right i mean those were like you know 200 250 yard passing games with two touchdowns then this this get this 31 you know a rank of 31 this week in a terrible week for quarterbacks like this was one of the worst weeks we've ever seen for quarterbacks like i mean passing He's was 31 down. man oh yeah so 31st in, in yeah in this economy as you would say <laughs> yeah yeah so During a pandemic no less yeah <laughs> i mean so it's just it's tough to get like behind any of it you know um you're gonna you're gonna start dk metcalf you're probably gonna start tyler lockett um, but Russell Wilson, you just shouldn't be using him at this point. You, you need another option. He'll probably be around 15 for me this week. But I, I don't know if you have other thoughts on this offense. I mean, he was – I felt great about Metcalf going to this week based me on too. the week before. Had a touchdown nullified. Russ barely missed him on another one. He got, you know, DPI'd on another potential score. Everything was setting up. Even with Ramsey coming back, man, he was beating. Ramsey can rock that cradle all he wants, man. Metcalf beat him deep a good three or four times throughout that game. We had the one where he ran straight past him, and Russ underthrew it by a good 10 yards. He drew a DPI on a nice double move, and then had another double move in the first half, man. I, I tweeted all these out in a sheesh video. Go check it out at iHeart. It's another double move in the first half where, you know, Russ completes it down the seam for a nice chunk anyway, but it's like, why? Well, there's so many plays like, you know, coming out of halftime, you know, report from Pete Carroll. Yeah, you know, only two catches for DK Metcalf. We've decided we really want to get him more involved in the second half. Why is every single play's first read not that dude out there that we have seen time and time again that the league's best cornerback in Jalen Ramsey cannot hang with for 60 minutes? So it's five straight games under 60 yards for Metcalf. It's in, inconceivable, man, when you can and watch I didn't get the to film. Have, I didn't get to watch the game last night because um, I'm in Dallas, so I had 
the other the other game was on here. Yeah, um, I did stream it for a little bit, but I was getting so many damn pop ups. I said screw it, like because I didn't want to download. I got, I got to work with you at that. I got all, I got all that figured out, Twin. Okay, cool. You can tell me, but like, so I don't know if if what you were seeing, like he had plenty of targets last night. Like that wasn't the issue. Like over forty percent of the targets went his way. Now to your point, it didn't really like it didn't like kick up until late in the game. So I don't know if that point he was just seeing more double coverage or if he was seeing more help coverage. Like he's one Russ of missed he him receives bad, more double coverage and help coverage than most receivers in the league. Like he's in the top five. So people are paying attention to DK. Sorry, go ahead. Now I was just saying like, yeah, he was open. Russ was not putting it on him. Here's to hoping Russ. And what is up with Russ? Like, is it still just the injury thing? Like it's just not been really good all year. Not exactly the year that, you know, he would want after really being more vocal about a trade and maybe moving on uh, afterwards. I know a lot of it was through agents, but uh, Seahawks, down year, alas. Moving on, Browns at the Raiders, Las Vegas, one point faves. Broncos at Raiders. I knew something was going on as I was saying that. Raiders were playing. You phase me. We're two hours in. I'm like, Browns, Browns are playing twice this week. Let's it's like, it. hold on. I think these teams just played. Game total of 41 and a half. Broncos pass the game. I'm excited, man. Drew Locke's going to be under center. Is it like, is, should this excite you as a fantasy fan? Absolutely. It, should, it, should, it, it should excite you at least for the receivers to have a chance to have a down the field ball. Like, immediately, yeah. dude, he started, like, he has his own problems, but he immediately started chunking the ball down the field to Sutton and Patrick and these guys. I know. I just wish he wasn't literally our worst graded quarterback among 55 qualified signal callers. Who has the worst adjusted completion rate than Drew Locke this year? Absolutely nobody. That's who. So, yes, while I do appreciate Drew Locke's increased average target depth, uh, you really have no idea where that ball is going. I mean, bro, who else? I'm like, I know it was like fourth and 30 at the end, but he threw the ball out of bounds. Yeah, that, that, yeah, that was good. What's funny is we'll still take him over Teddy. I know it really and is. Sorry, Teddy. Again, hope Teddy gets better. That was not that didn't didn't mean course, that slight that way. We, we don't want anyone to be hurt. But Teddy, the Broncos passing game. Whoever's been under center, they haven't surpassed 250 yards since week six. So we'll see. But man, it's been so since their week 11 bye. And this was kind of the point I brought up last week that it's not even that Teddy isn't throwing the ball to Patrick in sudden. I Jerry Judy's awesome. I would understand if Judy was just eating and you know it was frustrating that Teddy wouldn't throw the ball to the other guys. Since their week 11 bye, Patrick was wide receiver 19 last week, had the great touchdown, even the short guy, Selly, I enjoyed. Jerry Judy was the wide receiver 27 in week 13. Otherwise, Patrick, Sutton, Judy, they've been wide receiver 50 or worse each and every week, man. I'm going to go out of my way and not rank any of these guys in the top 36. Maybe we get increased volume, but who the hell knows? Who knows? And it's not going to be more efficient than Teddy. Maybe, you know, it can't get much worse, but it's already so bad. And to the Raiders' credit, man, one of the few things this defense has been consistently good at is limiting opposing wide receivers, top five in fantasy points per game allowed to the position. So if anything, I want to focus on the running backs because Lord knows we can't trust the tight ends either since that week 11 by Noah Fant. 24 targets, Albert O, 23 targets. And Albert O, He's a fine talent too. So is Noah Fant. I really wish we could petition the law to conjoin them, have some weird Disney movie where they become one person. I don't think that's going to happen in the next two weeks though. So can't treat, can't treat them as anything more than low end tight end twos at this point. Only guys we have that we can at least appreciate are Melvin Gordon and Javante Williams. This one's fun, Dwayne. Spider-Man meme. 
Melvin Gordon, Javante, both averaging exactly 13.2 PPR points per game this season, tied for RV24. I love it. And that's what they are. That's where we've been ranking them. Our borderline RV2s. It's what they finished as. It's what they are moving forward. If one goes down, the other one's instantly in the RB1 conversation. When the one doesn't go down, we cannot just uh, you know expect Javante or Melvin to really take control of the backfield. It has been leaning Javante, which is great. I'm fine putting him one spot, maybe even two spots ahead of Gordon if we're just feeling you know crazy after six beers or so. Either way, trust these running backs, and that is about it from this offense. Dwayne, the Raiders, Renfro finally dudded, but I think, I think we've seen enough for him to know that's not necessarily going to be an every week thing. I just hope that maybe our guy Darren Waller, for those of us still alive in our playoffs, even though we drafted him early, can come back. But if not, man, it's going to be tough to expect too much from a passing game and an offense that since losing Henry Ruggs has scored more than 16 points once. Yeah, man, it's been a, it's been problematic. So the last three games without Waller, Derek Carr's finishes 22, 22, and 18. And now it's getting to the point where teams are just double covering Hunter Renfro. Like, so Hunter Renfro actually has seen more bracket covers than Tyreek Hill now <laughs> because he's all they have, Ian. It's like exploded over the last three games. Like, he was not in that territory earlier. But now, oh now I think te- teams are like in the, they're in the film room. You just see these defensive coaches that are like, Fuck it. I guess we just. I guess we just double the small white dude. <laughs> you know, like how are we gonna do this? Sorry, earmuffs for for kids at home. But I, I just like imagine thinking people like we're gonna have to we're gonna have to we're gonna have to double the small white receiver. So anyway, um, that's the yeah. guy we're worried about this. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so not, not get... Randy Moss to on the outside. <laughs> exactly. Hunter Renfro. Yeah, it's not like planning for like the dual threat quarterback like Kyler Murray. Right. It's Hunter Renfro, <laughs> like the the beast. Hey, and look to, to Renfro's credit, not to take anything away from him. like the dude's balling out He's he awesome. he and you know Derek Carr obviously on the same wavelength with everything it's 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 you know it's really Stafford you know Cooper Cup-esque minus the touchdowns like how on the same page they are right you know we did say this we said as soon as we move him in the top 24 he will dud so we did give a disclaimer last week just to be clear like that this would happen so but for me with him with Renfro I'm going back man I'm going back to it I'm going to put him inside the top 24 again Going to play against Denver. They love to run a lot of man coverage. Who is the favorite receiver in man coverage? Who's the favorite receiver, period? Doesn't matter. It's Hunter Renfro. I was about to say, it's got to be It doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter. He's just the guy they want to go to all the time. It isn't isn't a great matchup, but I'll have him inside the top 24. Like, I'm not going to let the one week scare me away just because, you know, he he did dot on us last week. Um, There's really nothing else we can look at in the passing game unless we do get Darren Waller back. I think if you get Waller back, you know, and we know that, and he has missed three games. So I would assume if he comes back, he's pretty much ready to rock. And if we get that, we get the green light. I think he goes in your top five at that point. Like I would still go ahead and put him ahead of Goddard, and I would have him ahead of Ertz. I would have him ahead of Pitts. You're not going to put him in front of Andrews, Kittle, or Gronk, right? Like those are the three. There's no way Darren Waller gets in front of them right now because they're they're healthy, they're in a groove, they're all performing. So I feel like Waller goes in right behind those guys if we know that he's going to play. Only 8.2 points given up per game by the Broncos. Two opposing tight ends in a PPR format. It's a three out of 10 on the tight end strength of schedule. But again, when you get these really good tight ends, I don't worry about it that much, Ian. I don't know how much you, like with certain positions, I weight matchups a little bit more than than others. Overall, we know matchups, a lot of it can be noise. So you're still going to lean back to the talent. 
Um, it's just a matter of pulling all the factors together. But with tight ends, it matters to me even less than it does um, with certain wide receiver matchups. Um, as far as the quarterback, Derek Carr, you're not going to use him. I got him at QB 18, got him in tier six this week. So unless you're in a super flex, you're not going to play him. And then Josh Jacobs continues to see a near every down roll. We did get Jalen Richard back last week. And he did actually come in to take on some of the passing down role. But what was interesting, and this is really, this is all we needed to see. Um, Josh Jacobs did retain the two-minute offense like he had um, in the last game where Jalen Richard was available. He saw 92% of the two-minute offense. Um, I'm sorry, actually, I'm looking at the wrong one. He was still over 80% of the two-minute offense this last week. He'd been at 100%, 92%, 92%, and so still over 80. So still in a good spot. The long down and distance, though, he did give away some of that to Jalen Richard, which was still fine. Like, his rushing attempts were good. Um, His snaps came down a little bit. You know, he's been over the 70% mark the last two weeks, so he was down into the mid-60s again. Peyton Barber sniped a few carries, but it wasn't anything. It wasn't anything crazy. So nothing that's like going to make me lose sleep. But I've got him at the bottom of my RB one tier at RB twelve. Like I wouldn't if fine if you want to use Aaron Jones over him. I got no problem. Like you could even say, look, I'm going to use Jeff Wilson over uh, Josh Jacobs. Like I wouldn't. I would be fine with that. I think like that's the range he's in. Jacobs, he's, you know, he's like a hungry hippo RB2. He's getting, he's eating plenty of touches. He's just not really going anywhere. And and you just, if when you play him, you do have to, the you have the whole game. Like there's four or five yeah. times every game that you think he's hurt. So it's true. you have to live through that. <laughs> I thought you were going to say he's going to be out there the whole game. We do have to live with uh, him continuously walking <laughs> off the field with one ailment or another before yeah. inevitably returning. Three more, everyone. Thanks, as always, for sticking with us. Steelers at the Chiefs. Kansas City, eight-point favorites. Game total at 44. So the Steelers, to some point, did seem to actually reduce Chase Claypool's usage last week. He actually played fewer snaps than Ray Ray McLeod. We haven't seen them give him the 90% plus snap rates for a few weeks. He has been playing through the toe injury, so it wasn't like a major reduction, but it also wasn't an increase after the infamous first down signal. Never mind that Claypool caught, you know, eight of nine targets for like 93 yards in that game. Let's, you know, let's hold our players accountable and make sure that, you know, Dwayne, they're out there doing the right thing. And with that in mind, let's talk about Big Ben this season. Nobody has thrown the ball short of sticks on a higher percentage of their pass attempts than Ben at 60.8%. And you're, you know, you listening to this, a scholar, a football aficionado, might be saying, well, Ian, that's what about, you know, on third downs, on fourth downs, and when the offense needs five or more yards, like obvious pass situations. You're right. He's not last in that. He's third to last behind Jared Goff and Teddy Bridgewater. That's where we're looking at with Big Ben. 34th among 43 quarterbacks in PFF passing grade. Dwayne, can you guess who has more total turnover-worthy plays than Ben this year? More than Ben this year. Well, it can't be Zach Wilson. He hasn't played enough. Sure can't be. It Could it be... Nope, it can't be because nobody Minshew? has more turnover. Nope. Okay. Nobody, nobody has more turnover worthy plays than Big Ben. I Can got I get you. one more guess? No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not giving up on this thing. <laughs> so yes, the passing game, a disaster. And this, you know, these are types of stats, and then you see them somehow win, but have 168 total yards of offense against the Titans starts to make more sense. So at this point, Claypool, you know, he was someone I had a lot closer to that wide receiver two borderline. I, I think we gotta keep him out of the top 30. We know he has the talent to boom he gets the air yards more weeks than not you know one of the more funny lines we've ever seen the zero receptions for 12 receiving yards somehow uh last week so 
He's not going to be that bad again, but at the same time, who we haven't seen him do this all year long. It's only been the Deontay Johnson show because he eats up targets more than just about anyone. 27.3% targets per route. Only guys better, Cooper Cup, Devontae Adams, Antonio Brown, and A.J. Brown. So Deontay, even if you want to you know, bump him outside the top 12, just know the floor is pretty much the roof for him. He has not finished outside the top 34 wide receivers in a single week all season long. Gotta love Deontay Johnson. Final note, Najee Harris, all the volume. You're starting him as the RB1. He really has been the biggest underperformer at the running back position, though. Yeah, starting to get some interesting start sit questions with Najee. Um. Oh, man. I can <laughs> <You> only <know. laughs> imagine. Yeah. 44, excuse me, 46 PPR points below expectation. The only other guys even close, Mark Ingram, 36 and a half under. Miles Gaskin, 34 and a half under. Mike Davis, 28.2 points below expectation. Not exactly the running backs we were hoping that Najee Harris would be uh, being compared to at this point in the season, Dwayne. But here we are. At least that volume has outweighed it, and he still has more RB1 weeks than anyone other than Jonathan Taylor. Now, with the Chiefs, this one's just tough, man. Tyreek, Kelsey, they're both on the COVID list. Josh Gordon just got off, thank God. But it's a little bit hard uh, knowing where these passes are going to be going, Dwayne. And to be honest with you, if you look back at this Chiefs team over the past six, seven weeks, yeah, they killed the Raiders twice. We know they can do that. And they went off against the Chargers because Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey went nuclear. We know they can do that. These kind of feel like trap plays to me, man. Why are we assuming Mahomes is going to be Mahomes without his weapons? We just saw what happened to Brady without his weapons. Mahomes hasn't been playing great. I don't know if I can rank any of these wide receivers or tight ends, even without Hill or Kelsey, inside of top 36. No, because look, they have not earned it. None of these players, historically, not just this year, have ever put up strong targets per route run. So that's the equalizer, right? Because we know sometimes you have better players in front of you. But if you get on the field, like we just want to see, like when you're out there, like does the target, does the quarterback look to you? And Mahomes hasn't. And so, look, Josh Gordon, he hasn't, you know, this year. And Josh Gordon's targets per route run have been down forever. Like, he's not the same Josh Gordon. Like, so just, like, don't even think it's going to happen. Could he come up with some weird kind of big game? Sure. Like, you want to use it in DFS? Like, be my guess. But, like, I'm not using any of these guys. I think the biggest trap play really is Mecole Hardman. Um, Because everything he does get, it's like most of it now has to be designed for him. Right. And so now you're going to basically be asking him, though, to actually go back to really being like a full route tree player, which is really where me always struggled. And like if there's one player you see Patrick Mahomes like darting eyes at and having to, you know, like, you know, coach on the field the most, it's me Hardman, like all the time. You like you see Mahomes giving him the like, man, you're supposed to cut that inside or you're supposed to cut this outside or maybe you're supposed to continue that route. Like Hardman consistently is getting that kind of coaching. So Pringle has really taken over that role because of that. But he's not doing a lot with it either. Like his targets per route run is sitting at a 12. So you got Hill at a 27%. You got Kelsey at a 22%. And then you have really a bunch of nothing. So I'm with you. Like I'm down this week on on Mahomes as well. Um, I've got him at QB9. Like, so, I mean, I, you know, it's tough to like push, you know, it's, it is Patrick Mahomes. So it's tough like to push him like all the way outside of the top 12. Um and, and you just start getting to other quarterbacks where you're like, okay, I don't care. I'm just still going to start Patrick Mahomes. <laughs> like, I'm just going to roll with it. But overall, like, it's just a situation where I'm like, ah, man, like, I'm, I'm not going to start him over Aaron Rodgers. I'm not going to start him over Stafford. I'm not going to start him over Brady. I'm not going to start him over Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, Kyler Murray, Jalen Hurts, Justin Herbert. I'm not starting him over any right. of those players. Like, I shake my head the whole, whole time. I agree. Yeah, like, once you get to Dak and you get to Burrow – 
like that's where I think you could start thinking about Mahomes, and I have him in that same tier with those guys because they've they've had their own issues on certain weeks, right? I think you could still argue though for Dak and Burrow, like at least they have their weapons, like they yeah. could go off. Like Mahomes, like he would have to totally manufacture it all himself, and I think the more likely path is play defense against the Steelers and actually run the ball against the Steelers. If you look at the Steelers, like most people you historically always think, oh man, Steelers, you can't run the ball against them. That, not the case this year. Over the last six weeks, here are the rushing attempts they've given up. Uh, over the last six games, the rushing attempts they've given up per game, 34, this doesn't include overtime, 34, 19, 37, 22, 34, 41. rushing attempts per game allowed over the last six games. That's the fifth most by the Steelers. So I think you're just going to see more of Edwards Alaire. You're going to see a little bit more of Darrell Williams. They do run a lot of zone coverage. Uh, I think seventh most in the league for the Steelers. They're at 70%. One of uh, a handful of teams that are over 70%. So we could see a little bit more passing work to the backs, which would mean like Darrell Williams. That's the other thing, right? Do they just get the backs a little more involved in the passing game? We could see more screens, stuff like that. But it's still not enough to get me super excited about using the Chiefs backfield. Washington football team at the Cowboys, Dallas 10.5 point favorites, game total 47.5. Terry McLaurin's quarterback list has a new member. So we got Alex Smith, Dwayne Haskins, Colt McCoy, Case Keenum, Kyle Allen, Taylor Heineke, and now Garrett Gilbert. If your ears are not bleeding yet, just know that this passing game hasn't reached even 250 yards in a game since week four. I've really tried to be steadfast with Terry. We saw a lot more booms earlier on in the year. At this point, Dwayne, I think he's going to be well outside my top 24, still in the wide receiver three conversation because he's Terry McLaurin. We know how good he is. He had another incredible downfield contested catch last night. Uh, It's just so tough. Even if Heineke's under center to expect anything out of this offense, just based on, again, compilation of five stats. Always tried to, you know, I don't sit here and just give you the PFF passing grade and say, trust this one metric. Don't do it with yards per attempt or QB rating. I use five of them based on five, six stats about throwing the ball 20 plus yards downfield. Taylor Heineke, the worst deep ball thrower in the entire league. So quit waving Terry deeper, Heineke, and like, I don't know, do some more curls or however the hell you get your arm strength up because that ain't it, man. And it's so infuriating to watch, truly. One of the league's best separators, route runners, reduced to a contested catch artist because their offense can't figure out how to do anything else. So really, try to avoid this entire passing game. Unfortunately, that does include Ricky Seals-Jones. He had seven targets, and Bates only had one. With that said, we're still seeing this as an awfully split, evenly tight end committee in Washington. Of course, we don't want to deal with his passing game, so why would we want to deal with the tight end if they don't have that every down snap roll that we were loving to see earlier in the year? Only guy we're loving is Antonio Gibson. Keep an eye on the toe injury, but he suffered it last night, and he was able to return. He was a DMP on Wednesday, but why would Antonio Gibson practice the day after he just played and hurt his toe? So not worried about him missing the game but keep an eye on it obviously Patterson would be the pickup otherwise but JD McKissick is on IR meaning you know the floor is going to remain awfully high for Antonio Gibson since the football team's week nine bye Gibson has ripped off finishes as the RB7 23 7 6 36 and most recently RB4 that's the type of stuff that can happen when you don't have McKissick taking away every single target when things go south so Gibson RB1 otherwise hopefully you don't have anyone else from this largely joke of an offense now with the Cowboys let's talk some wide receivers Dwayne because Dak 
hasn't been great recently. We've kind of talked about his pre-post calf splits, you know. But you look at those pass attempts, and they have been throwing the ball a lot more. We know Washington has been brutal against slot receivers. They've allowed the most receptions to slot all year. I still maintain Amari Cooper looks healthy despite last week's dud. I still think, man, they're not the same juggernaut. But if you can, if you have a start sit question and one of the guys is a Cowboy player, I think I'm I'm going to continue to lean on the league's second ranked scoring offense. Yeah, I mean, I think it really starts back with Dak. I mean, and you you did a good job of outlining this um, last week. So if folks want to hear that, they can. But it's really just since the calf injury, like, you know, he's not been the same player. Like, and I mean, if you look at his fantasy finishes over the last five games, 28, 4, 23, 24, 21. Go back one more, you get a two, though. So you get the two and the four, and that's what keeps you coming back to starting Dak Prescott every week. But look, I, I'm a Cowboy fan, so it's like I, it's definitely a game that I get to see every single snap of um, every week. And, like, Dak's just off. Like, he's making some of the same mistakes, you know, that he made, you know, two weeks ago, still making them in this last game. And so the theory, like, here, like, locally, is that, like, it is still to do with the injury and like instead of being able to just truly focus on like just executing the play like he's worried about like you know you know the pain and etc i don't know how much that is like true or not but there's obviously something wrong right with Dak prescott right now and he doesn't look as mobile looks kind of stiff so but to your point like they do throw the ball more right now now they did run the ball last week i was surprised like how much they used pollard actually <laughs> like it's like he looked guy, good too he looked yeah. back to 100 percent yeah, he looked like it. Like, I mean, I'm still a little leery just because, like, I don't, you know, anytime you got a player playing with a lower body injury um, like that, that we know can't just completely go away, um, like, until it, like, completely rips. Like, and I don't think his has, has it? I don't think so. I think so. it did completely. Uh, for some reason, I thought it was, like, I'm almost full. But anyway. So I thought the the weird thing I thought I heard was that like because it fully ripped that was actually better than if it, it is had better. only parts. Okay, I think it, I think it was the better one then. Okay, well I'll have to go look at that again. That's, it's on my list. Of <laughs> Just things. some super deep uh, you know medical talk going on right there. <laughs> yeah, it's so yeah. This is this is the beauty of like I don't watch half the games with the with the sound on. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So with Pollard, you know, he'll be borderline RB three again for me this week. And there's just, there's just a lot of backs like to use yeah. like he's, but he's been around 40% of the work. Elliot's been around 60%. So Zeke will be a mid range RB two. He's still not 100%, you know, but it's a 10 and a half point. They're 10 and a half point favorites, 29 point implied points, um, which is the most on the slate. So like you could easily see Zeke, poke in like one or two touchdowns. Maybe Pollard can break off a long play. Like they're both going to be, you know, Zeke startable, you're going to use him, right? He's going to be an RB2 for you. Pollard's really the one in question. Um, And I still would probably lean to a wide receiver in my flex versus Pollard. Like if you came to me with a really tough RB2 question where you just needed to have something, that might be like where I might consider Pollard over another name that you were to give me. But if I can start a receiver over Pollard that I think has upside, I'm still doing that this week. As far as the receivers, which is really where you started, like I've got Lamb inside my top 10. His routes are down, but his targets per route run are still elite. And it's just a good matchup, you know. So, I mean, he's in a good spot. 38.8 points per game allowed uh, by Washington to opposing wide receivers, which is the third most on the slate. Amari Cooper, man, like I've been like I'm borderline moving him out of the top 24. Like it's just it's it's he does look he does look healthy, but he's just not getting as many targets um, right now. Like it's just really more funneling through lamb. Like it could it could easily like go back to Cooper at any point. But this we've always talked about this. You've got Schultz is in a you know, he's ascended into a new role. You now have Gallup back. 
you've got CD Lamb, the young guy like that's on the rise. You got Amari. They're all good players. So it's just like when Dallas doesn't have a 300-yard passing day, it's kind of the same thing that we talk about really with the Bengals. Like somebody's got to be the odd player out. And as good as Amari Cooper is, like it's happened to him, you know, a couple times. So I'm with you. I'm inclined to like keep him inside the top 24 just because we know he's still – look, he's still in his prime. Like Amari Cooper's not like done. Like he's, he battles through injuries, yes. He doesn't maybe look as explosive as he once did. But he's still an elite he's, route runner. Yeah, gets 22 open. 22 years old. Yeah, yeah, he probably, yeah. He actually, like, every time I look at Amari Cooper. Somewhere around there, somewhere around Every time, Amari Cooper is one of those players, you have to say, every time you look at his your age, you're like, damn, like, he's still that young? Like, (laughs) golly, like, did he come in the league when he was 12? Um, So, with Cooper, got him at wide receiver 21 right now. Um, You know, I haven't, again, totally, like, locked in these guys, but just inside my top 24. Like I said, Lamb's inside my top 10. Gallup's really more of that boom bust, Ian, you know. um, Like, you need Gallup to score a touchdown. Like, he's a good enough player, though. Like, you could get – like, he's more of a DFS kind of player, right? If you were to go with a, a Dallas stack and you wanted to use Dallas, like, Gallup's a great player to throw in there because we know he's good enough to still come up with 100 yards and two touchdowns. It's got to kind of – it's got to be a weird game script for that to come through for you. Um, and then Dalton Schultz, even though, yes, he is down a little bit um, just because you got all these weapons back, he's been more of a roller coaster lately. Last week, he showed you like what he's still capable of, you know, whenever Dak does look his way. And you got another really good matchup. Like he's green on the Christmas tree 47.5 total, 10, minus 10.5 spread. That doesn't really matter much for tight ends, but the 29 implied points is good. 6.4 out of 10 on the tight end strength of schedule. And the tight end matchup is a 48, which is tied for the third best on the fourth best, sorry, on the slate. Dolphins at the Saints. Monday Night Football, New Orleans three-point favorites. Game total, oh man, 38.5, easily the lowest of the week. Expecting a defensive slugfest in this one. So with these running backs, pains me to say this, everyone, as one of the bigger Duke Johnson stands, you'll find going to be tough to rank him as anything more, and along with Miles Gaskin as low-end RB3s. There's too much unknown, and we had Dolphins co-offensive coordinator Eric Studsville come out and basically confirm that, no, they did not trust either Miles Gaskin or Salvin Ahmed to handle their usual large workloads. So, you know, we see this with guys like Craig Reynolds and Duke Johnson and whoever it might be. They have one really big game, and we start thinking like, oh, like don't show Hilliard. They have one big game. We're like, okay, it must be their backfield. Now, Let's remember, Miles Gaskin has been here three years. Duke Johnson has been here about three weeks. So, no, I don't think Duke is probably going to go out there and get a workhorse role again. He played far too good to hit the bench. They signed him, you know, into 2022. I think that's awesome. But it's going to be a committee of sorts. And it's going to be a committee behind a still atrocious offensive line that is no longer playing the worst run defense in the league in the New York Jets. Now they got to play the Saints, who have been the second best defense in the league in PPR points per game allowed to RBs. So... We're looking at at least Gaskin and Duke. Maybe Salvin Ahmed is involved. Maybe Malcolm Brown's activated off the IR with the quad. Maybe Philip Lindsay is back from the COVID list as well. I don't want anything to do with this. I will be answering the heavy majority of start sick questions with the other guy as long as it's involving a Dolphins running back. Again, 38.5 points. The matchup is brutal. And it's on Monday night. So like maybe there's a situation where you have... 
I can't even think of a you know situation where this would be good because there's gonna be no possible pivots for you guys. Like, okay, if this was a one o'clock game, like kind of like we were talking about earlier with Devin Singletary, if we could wait until this game started and then we saw that it was only gonna be like Duke Johnson and Miles Gaskin, if we knew we could restrict it to just those two guys, maybe it'd be easier to bump them up in the ranks. But the way it stands now, I just think that you could be much better off going with an upside wide receiver or someone that has a more clear role um, in close start sit questions. So uh, in the past. Passing game, it's Jalen Waddle's world, and that's about it. So wide receiver 16, PPR points per game. Last eight games, wide receiver 4, 16, 60, 16, 37, 11, 1, and most recently 15. Hopefully Jalen is fully back to full health after coming off the COVID list. And yeah, man, I just don't, I think he sets up perfectly in this game because could see Devontae Parker catch Marshawn Lattimore's shadow. Like, either way, the way they use Waddle in the slot, always in motion. Like, he is just someone that's so tough for opposing defenses to take away and really makes this offense click. I mean, the Dolphins' offensive line, now the Panthers are actually worse than them on the year in terms of PFF pass blocking grade. But truly, bottom two unit in the league, absolutely brutal. They don't have much of a choice to do anything other than run this kind of gimmicky RPO offense, continuously getting the ball out of Tua's hands as fast as possible. It's a shame, man, because Tua, when getting the chance, having enough time to throw downfield and be, you know, a more regular quarterback, he's been good. League high, 20.1 yards per attempt when throwing the ball at least 20 yards downfield. Just a matter of having that O-line being able to give him that time. So Jalen Waddle, you know, locked in, wide receiver two. You could be really hard-pressed to start someone else in full PPR scoring. Devontae Parker, I think, you know, kind of a low-ceiling wide receiver three. I'd say he does have four catches in all seven games, but I just think we're going to continue to see overwhelming number of targets go to Waddle. And then Mike Jasicki, tight end 16, 27, 7, and 14 over the past four weeks. Having Parker and Waddle back in the lineup is rough. And look, he's a, he's a wide receiver, and now the wide receivers are back. So 88% of his snaps in the slot are out wide. If you don't have Jasicki in your top 12 tight ends, I don't think it's that big a deal. I still think it will be hard to rank more than, you know, 12, 13, 14 ahead of him. With that said, certainly not going out of my way to rank him ahead of kind of that muddle group that we've seen at the tight end one borderline. But hey, this is another opportunity, people. We always talk about this Falcon Saints, you know, go catch the fantasy analyst that's treating Kyle Pitts, saying it's a bad matchup against the Saints tight end defense. Same thing with Jasicki. He's a wide receiver. He's facing a bad defense against wide receivers. Don't be throwing that tight end stat in my face. Mike Jasicki himself doesn't believe he's a tight end. He's a big slot. Let's start calling him as such. Now, Dwayne, this Saints passing game is horrific. I don't even think you need to say a word about that. At least we have Alvin Kamara and maybe Taysom Hill. He's getting 11 carries per game. We'll see if they go anywhere this week. Yeah, but now you, now you got Taysom Hill's like just the anvil around Alvin, Alvin Kamara's you know, neck. I mean, it's just, <sighs> look, 32% of the design rushing attempts to Taysom Hill last week, 35% to Kamara, and then 29% to, to Mark Ingram. So now you've got a three-way backfield. Um, yes, they are run heavy, but you also have Hill stifling like the upside as far as Kamara goes in the passing game because he's had six, five, and six targets over his last three games. Like So we're not getting the 10, the 8, and the 9 target games anymore from Kamara. And we're not getting the 60 to 75% of the rushing attempts we were getting early in the season whenever we weren't getting as much um, receiving work from Kamara. Now, the targets are still 25% each of the last two weeks. So technically, if they were to get into a game more like the Dallas game, we could see more targets for Kamara. But I just feel like the paths have kind of closed in, right? The thing we used to love 
about him as a player was like no script could really take him away. Like he was, he always had a path, like the value, whether it was through the run game, whether it was through the pass game. And that's just not the case anymore. Like he could dud in the run game. He could also dud in the passing game. He could hit in both. He could hit in one. But like those are all of his outcomes now. Used to pretty much he was always going to be solid in the run game, always going to be positive, right, in the passing game. And then you were just waiting to see how many touchdowns can this guy score this week. And that's what made him such a great asset in fantasy football. And so now it's just a mess. They want to keep Mark Ingram involved. And look, Mark Ingram, like he's done some nice things despite the fact that, you know, a lot of folks may think that he's washed. Like they're also probably trying to keep touches off of Kamara's body, you know, for the long term. So like, I think there's more going on here than just like, you know, one week at a time. Obviously the Saints are in win now mode. They're trying to win these games, but it's just, it's a mess, Ian. So for me with Kamara, like it just makes it tough. Like you can't, I don't think you can put him, I don't think you can just like blindly just be like, fine, top five, top six back every week. You're <laughs> going to have him in your top 12. He's yeah. still, a, he's still back. You're going to play every week, but man, just, it's a tough spot to be in. Now he's still talented enough. He could always come through. We saw this last year. Remember when he had how many touchdowns he had in the game? Six. I think it was this coming week. Six. Six. Yeah. I can remember it was five <laughs> or six. Um, so, I mean, look, he's, is he going to do that again? No, but he's capable. He was Maybe in a similar. Not. Maybe no. He was in a similar kind of role to this at that point last year, um, and he still came through big. So the talent is still there. So you're not going to push him too far down. But it's just it's just disappointing because it's a guy that you know we really love to see in that every down role, and it's just not there anymore. Um, and, and the offense has changed. As far as the passing game, you're right. We're not going to touch it. And as far as Taysom Hill himself goes, look, he's a low end QB one, like we said last week. Though you saw the bad part that we talked about, like when he doesn't come through with those rushing touchdowns. And we know that he's not really a very good passer. Like it's problematic for Taysom Hill versus some of the other quarterbacks with that that can throw the ball better than he can, but also give the same upside with their legs. And we saw that last week. So it, it was just it was due to happen. But I still think you got to treat him like a low end QB, uh, a low end QB one. Uh, look, we for how we've seen Tim Tebow put up how many QB one performances <laughs> like. Look, Taysom Hill can can still do it. He just doesn't give you quite the upside that some people may think. Wish they ran a better offense for him, man. I feel like they haven't adjusted it as, as much as they might otherwise. I saw um, PFF Seth Galena make this point on Twitter. The Saints should just be running the Eagles offense with Taysom under center. Like, that'd be freaking gorgeous. I don't even know why they're still, like, pretending to have a semblance of a passing game. But it is what it is. Hopefully, Jameis back in 2022. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in again. Have a very special offer for you all, though. You can get 50% off a PFF Elite annual subscription if you use code ELITEUP. What can you get with this? All of our locked article content, our college football and NFL betting dashboards, NFL Green Line, which recommends picks based on the spread, based on what our data is telling us, up 27 units this year. College Green Line is up 32 units. And we also, of course, have our 0 to 100 grades player prop tool, fantasy football ranks, that and so much more. I'm very excited about the things we have on deck for Dynasty and Best Ball. We do not plan on taking any days, well, you know, some days off, but we'll have the content flowing even when we are taking days off throughout the offseason. And truly, you know, when you get this PFF Elite subscription, I like to think it's just an investment in yourself now being able to make more money betting, playing fantasy, doing whatever. So again, a Christmas gift to all of you. Use promo code ELITEUP for 50% off an entire year of PFF Elite. Again, that's promo code ELITEUP. 
And also, trying to gamble, go on DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code PFF. Bet just $5 on any NFL team to win on Christmas Day and win $150 in free bets if they're victorious. That's promo code PFF this Christmas at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania. Only new customers, only minimum $5 deposit, $1 wage required, one per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem called 1-800-GAMBLER. And finally, a quick shout out to our friends at Western and Southern. Always offering one of the cooler, I guess, promotions I've seen in all my years of doing these po- podcast ad reads. Basically, Western and Southern, all they're asking you to do is submit a question for Chris Collinsworth himself to answer, which he will do so either on the Chris Collinsworth podcast or on Western and Southern's Instagram. And to ask those questions, you just need to go to westernsouthern.com slash Chris. One more time, that is westernsouthern.com slash Chris. YouTube listeners can check out the link in the description below about anything. Ask Chris what it was like to play for the Bengals. Working with Alan Sunday night, maybe you just want to know what stock or crypto to buy next. I'm not quite sure on Chris's expertise with that, but hey, that's what Western Southern is there for. And again, what what can you give with this? They will cover your catering up to $2,500. Catering for $2,500 for the Super Bowl. They'll coordinate your order from a restaurant near you and have it delivered on February 13th, 2022. So don't forget, that's westernsouthern.com slash Chris. And remember, with Western Southern, you can rest assured on game day. All right, Dwayne, we did it, man. Week 16, preview pod. I don't even know. Two, two, two hours, 15 minutes, something. <laughs> Something bonkers. Uh, we did it, man. Anything else to say? No, man. Uh, we'll be finishing up my rankings and tiers article tonight. So that will be up tomorrow morning for folks to be able to go look at. I won't be updating it this Saturday on Christmas. I'll be updating my ranks. I'm just not going to update the article. So I'll try to put as much pivot type stuff as I can in there. It's a lot, though, to try to get it all just because we'll have things pop up with COVID. But uh, yeah, I'll, I'll try to have you guys covered as much as I can. Want to wish you all happy holidays, Christmas. You know, I know Hanukkah was a bit ago. Whatever the hell it is you're celebrating, maybe you just want to have a good week 16. Fantasy playoffs are certainly in the air, and we appreciate you listening to us throughout this season. We'll continue to be back helping you get there to championship glory. So for Dwayne, I'm Ian. Thanks again, as always. Until next time, take care, everybody.